good time to start it. And works for me. Sweet man. Well, thank you for coming on, Joe. I definitely appreciate your time. I know that we, um, you know, you've been in our kind of our circle there since the beginning, and so we definitely appreciate you, um, you know, coming on the episode and coming on to Fed Post when that was still going, and also yeah. your continued support. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's great. It, it's I like the uh, the project you guys have going. It's uh, I don't know. It, it's 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 to me like like I, either you have like a really slick, super like I don't know, like a Dan Carlin type of super produced podcast, or you have one that feels supernatural with just like some people hanging around and having a talk. And uh, yeah, and, and I think you guys nail that second one like perfectly. Sweet. Thank you. That's a little bit of like a backhanded compliment. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's not any good production value here, but you guys do a good nah, job. Man. <laughs> Thank no, you. no, it's what I'm saying is like, uh, uh, it's like, if you're going to be unscripted, be unscripted. Oh, for sure. Know? And that's what you guys absolutely nail. Like, like it's very natural. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there's no artifice to this show. And I, I like that about it. Sweet. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, no problem, that's something man. we try to keep it because we, we feel like we're just kind of normal dudes. Um, and we just kind of like try to have a normal conversation with people. If we don't try to keep it too structured with interview questions and stuff like that, I'm sure you remember from uh, the Fed post and from oh, listening. Yeah. So yeah, we're just going to kind of get it going and be rolling in here. Um, I think we'll start you off. You guys try not to mention the, the name of the old show. I, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to make oh, sure no. I'm respecting that. No, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I mean, we, we okay. don't want to talk about any like specifics about like any type of, you know, dramas or whatever. We don't want to get into oh, stuff, but like we, we're not going to be like, you know, the show that must not be named or anything. We oh, we're happy you. about the project that we created. <laughs> the Fed post was a big part of both of our lives for a while. And so we're happy yeah. that it happened for sure. And a lot of people are here from that. So we're thankful for the people that are here, including you as well, Joe. Yeah, yeah. man, brother. Honestly, awesome, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's honestly all just kind of common sense stuff of just, yeah, just like, just not, just not doing the gossip really. But oh, like, yeah. honestly, the funny thing is, is I remember saying, I remember I've, I had said that like explicitly, like a couple of times on the show. Um, mm -hmm. But everyone that we've ever had on just isn't the type of person to even do that in the first place. You know, right, it's, right, it's yeah. like, it's not even anything to, to worry about, but, but yeah, no. So Joe, I'm going to go ahead and start this up by playing the intro. And I wanted oh, to yeah. beforehand shout you out and thank you for the clip that you put together. Um, you're always killing it with these clips, dude. That's one thing I remember <laughs> for sure. From back in the <laughs> days, I remember the AOC oh videos, dude, all of that stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, here's one thing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I try to separate that from from me now. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. Sorry. That particular at with uh with this conversation that would help me out okay oh, we'll cool, totally, cool yeah that's see we'll just beep it right there yeah i'll beep that out before in the edit thank you yeah definitely but either way you always killing the clips um so i appreciate what you sent in with this trump clip of all these these people are sick compilations oh uh, no problem and that's what we've kind of farmed out of to make this intro so let's go ahead and play it and start the show up far out these people are sick this is obviously a very, very sick individual. These people are the sickest of them all. These people are sick. They are sick. And you better get used to hearing it. These people are sick. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. Thank you for the, the inspiration there, as well as the actual content that we used. 
at this point like the background chuckling feels like it's part of the the clip now yeah that's why i like to play it live actually in the beginning because i mean it's short it's not too annoying and it's fun to just kind of get a read on like how we're feeling throughout the day how the guest takes it and that kind of thing i think my favorite of those like of the various utterances he makes there my favorite one is when he's saying these people are the sixth of them all, you can yeah. hear him cracking up as he says it. Yeah. That, that to me is just, that is chef kiss right there, dude. Yeah, I love that when he's talking about these people are the sickest of them all. When he's talking about um, Nancy Pelosi, and he's like, "That woman is sick." Uh, these are all <laughs> these are all great, man. Classic things out of Trump. That's one of the things I think should be a takeaway legacy of his. It's just all the incredible content and phrases that came out of his presidency. We're gonna talk like him forever, man. It's there, oh, yeah. there are things that he says that we are just, you know, what you, I'll, I'll be like, you know, like 80 years old and I'll still be saying, you know, and you, you, you know, you keep hearing more and more about it. And, and the kid that's one of those things, the kids are like, why does that old guy always say, you know, you, you hear more and more about this? Everyone's talking about it. Yeah, like, lots of people are talking about this. Exactly. <laughs> I've got many people saying here uh, that this is a very sick woman that we're going to be looking into her very much. Uh, Honestly, yeah, I like one of my favorite things is just I, I think that the 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 absolute innovation he made of just changing presidential rallies into just stand up sets. Is, yes, is great. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's just like, why would anyone watch a, a political speech that doesn't have just a bunch of hilarious trash talk and, and jokes yeah. in it. Uh, I, well, I, I try to tell my, my, like my very well-meaning and, and good-hearted liberal friends, I try to tell them you have to understand that if you don't start with Trump, if, if you're not the type of person that starts with Trump from like a baseline of, of disgust, if you approach him like without that mindset, he's really funny. And that's very <laughs> powerful. People yeah. don't, don't always get that, that like this dude, like he has comedians timing he, uh, I, I don't, my favorite is when he's reading a speech, like when he would do a state of the union or, uh, anything he's reading off a teleprompter and he would do commentary on the spot on yeah. his own speech. You, you know, he'd read the line and be like, and then we're going to be, uh, increasing, uh, you know, tax, uh, deductions. We love tax deductions. Don't we folks? He's like, he steps into like a, like, it, it's almost like he steps to the side and he's, he's like the other Trump that comments on what, what, you know, what the, the script is. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of perfect. Cause it, it kind of speaks to part of what is so great about him because we because he knows that we know that he's reading yep. basically a pre-written script mm-hmm. and so the thing he does where he kind of he's almost trump's kind of a postmodernist almost yeah right? where it's just like he trump's he a like postmodernist. wow 100 he kind of he kind of takes that sidestep and kind of is yeah. critiquing the medium he's speaking through at the same time. Kind of, it's 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 honestly it's kind of like a spin on it's the same thing as he did in the in the debates, right? Yes, and dude. And like they're mm-hmm. booing me because because you know, you know they're they're the D, the the RNC uh, donors and shit. And the the bit is also what's what's I mean I'm just it, it occurred to me right now is that that's Jim Gaffigan's bit when he says something and then he does the little voice like this. Yes, <laughs> he'll say like, uh, you know, oh yeah, I used to date a very uh, an Asian girl. She was very Asian. She was a panda. Hey, buddy, they're endangered. You know, that's that's Trump. He's except he doesn't do a different voice. He just, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. He just He's he amazing. just he does just kind of like a like a an East Coast dirtbag voice. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, that's uh, what I always try to, to tell people. So I, I used to work in uh, uh, what they call workforce development, but which is basically helping people get, get jobs and get training for jobs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Sure. What I tried to tell my, my, my clients or, or customers or whatever, I never knew what the politically correct term was that we were supposed to call them. I, I just called them clients. But uh, what I always told people is, you know, um, the, 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 I would tell them to, to be genuine in an interview because the, the one thing uh, that, that people can pick up is inauthenticity. So you have to be authentic. And people, people when they pick up like that lack of authenticity, they hate it. Yeah. And it really rubs them the wrong way. And, and then I, w- I would always say, you know, you look at Trump, whether you like him or not, you know, whatever you think about the guy, you have to admit he's in, he might not be like honest, you know, but he is incredibly authentic and that's right. powerful. People read that. I mean, I, like you were saying about the debates, you think about that, that guy on stage uh, with Marco Rubio and, and Ted Cruz and all those other lizard people. Yeah. And they're all like, I'm talking like this. And then he's just like, what, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, like you <laughs> can hear him. Like, like in the moment realizing, oh my God, you are a lizard in a skin suit, you know, and, and everybody else sees that too, particularly when given the contrast of this very authentic guy. Yeah. Right. Little Marco. If I talk too much, let me know. Oh, you're I'll, good. No, man. you're this good, is about man. you, bro. Go off as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It makes, it makes our job easier. It, honestly, the, the authenticity thing is such an interesting thing though, because like, it kind of goes back to, and you know, maybe I have a point with this. Maybe I don't, I, I don't totally know yet, but like what you were just saying a few minutes ago about like, you know, the, like, we're not a fancy podcast, but we're just kind of like more like authentic, you know? Mm-hmm. And like that, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, we like talking to you and why you're kind of like a, an OG in the scene. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just, it's just, I think there's just like an, an air of authenticity. And yeah, like I, I think about that. Um, I think about the current job I'm in. I need to kind of like um, I do some like amount of like hiring now, which is kind of insane to think about. It's wild. The first time you start doing hiring, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, all of a sudden you're the, you're on the other side of the table. Like, oh, this is what it's like. And it, it's not really any better in a lot of ways. It's almost worse. But it yeah. does give you yeah, a I mean, perspective going forward, though, into like if you ever go into another job after that perspective, it can give oh, yeah. you a lot of like confidence and insight when you're going into a new interview as the person that's being interviewed. It's, it's the same thing coming. as it's the same thing as with a lot of different topics where just like when you kind of demystify it, you can kind mm-hmm. of take that strength to other aspects of your life like living with a woman for the first time is really helpful because you're just like oh like they just you know the second you walk into a bathroom after a girl's just absolutely blown it up you know and you're they shit too you're like i'm not afraid of you anymore you know or like um like kind of becoming well i guess uh, uh younger people these days maybe can't relate with this that much but like just like becoming an adult and just kind of realizing mm-hmm. like, oh, this is just this is just how the world is being run is by people, I guess, like me, who are just like, adults, I suppose. I God, don't it's know. terrifying, actually, when you realize that. Well, the terrifying like, yeah, everyone's is, kinda... that, is that we're the three of us are probably a lot more mature than a, than a lot of average people. And that's like damning praise. Oh, yeah. 
Um, it's terrifying to think about. It truly is. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's like when I made my, my career shift into HR and I was like, wow, they let me into HR. Dude, that's what I thought. <laughs> I'm going to make this mistake. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. But when you, yeah, when you said that, that was just like, I, I, I honestly thought that was a joke at first. Yeah. Because it's just so <laughs> fucking hilarious. I mean, to be honest, like if I was in a workplace and you were the HR person, I would be, I mean, not that anyone knows. Um, right. But like I, that's that's probably the best setup you could have. Um, you know, and, and this is something I've come to realize because, uh, you know, I, I've had the good fortune not to have to interact a lot with HR over mm-hmm. the course of my, my career in various jobs and stuff like that. Uh, but what I've come to realize in working in, in HR is that, uh, you know, like, uh, well, so this is a, definitely a function of how big of an employer it is. Like if you've got 10,000 employees, it's a very different scene than if you have like a couple dozen. Uh, but like, if you, like in my case, I worked for a relatively large employer and, uh, you know, so, so we have divisions of HR. And so like, I don't have anything to do with diversity, equity, inclusion. Like that is just, oh. it will never come up in my, my work, you know? Uh, cause there's a whole division devoted to diversity, equity, inclusion, which is nightmarish in its own right. Uh, but but yeah, we, we have these, these divisions and it's like, yeah, I mean, if you work in like, I don't know, like records or if you work in, uh, in training or, or whatever it is, it's like, well, I guess training might have a little bit more of that kind of stuff in it, but yeah, it's just regular people. And, and generally speaking, the person that picks up the phone, if you have a question about your, uh, I don't know, like family medical leave act, that person that picks up the phone that, you know, they're, they're working a job like you, you know, it, it, again, in, in this, this kind of more specialized setup. But yeah, they're working a job just like you are, and uh, and some of them are nice, some of them are, are kind of bastards. But like, it, it's it's people like any other, you know. And and I've I've had the good fortune to work mostly with really really nice people. That's awesome. That's I mean that's yeah. encouraging to hear. That's encouraging. Yeah. I mean, how how long have you? And again, if I'm asking two specific questions, don't, you know, feel free to just, you know, push back a little bit. But how long have you been yeah, sure. in this gig? I mean, are you still kind of in an adjustment period? I, I myself yeah. have, oh my God, my dog is, is snoring so loud. Um, I myself started a, a new gig, I think probably about four-ish months ago. And I feel like I'm still definitely adjusting to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it, it, it's it's relatively new for me. I'll say that you know I, I I you know I'm I'm new enough that I don't really even have any certifications or anything like that. So uh, so yeah, it, it and you do you feel new at a job like I don't know I don't think I've ever had a job that I didn't feel new. At. I never had a job long enough that I had a chance to not feel new at it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's a relatively recent transition for me. Although I don't know, like it, it's it's. Uh, the, the, one of the advantages to working in, in something like human resources is uh, is a relative amount of job security in that if they're going to shut everything down, you're going to be the last part that's shut down, you know, oh, right. like, like you're the one that turns out the lights when, when you, you leave at the end, when, when they lock <laughs> the door, you know, so, uh, so it is, it, it's, it's, uh, it's comforting in that regard, certainly. To, to I mean, be, are, uh, I mean, are you, are you the guy who kind of has to like work with like firing people? Mm. I don't want to go into too many specifics about what I do, but that is, I'm very fortunate that that is not part of what I do. And as I understand it at larger employers, like, like mine, when there are people that specialize in that, that specific, like in, in with terminations. And of course I always hear Arnold Schwarzenegger say terminations, <laughs> uh, but uh, the people that, that work in that area, 
they're not the one telling the person that that they're getting fired. And and terminations can also mean, yeah, like, you know, retirement and and uh, right. and resignation and stuff like that. And right. by the time someone gets to you in, in terminations, as I understand it, they've kind of at least processed the beginning of the 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 you know the, the process. They're 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 kind of uh I won't say they've come to terms with it, but it you, you don't have to deal with the shock and stuff like that. And you're just helping them sort out their affairs like, you know, oh, here's the compensation you get for your you're not breaking you're the news. Your accrued leave. Yeah, exactly. You're not breaking the news yeah. to them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, it is, it, is, it definitely does have to be a job security to at least be someone who's, uh, be one of the guys who's involved with firing yep. uh, as a yep. security against getting fired. Well, and <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, man, guys, I'm in a reverse affirmative action situation. This field, like, I don't know, uh, I would say I'm going to, I'm going to try and do back of the envelope math. Uh, about 3% of the people in HR are, uh, uh, are, are men. And, oh, wow. uh, 100% believe Dude, that. all my HR departments have always been broads. Yeah. Always. And they're yep. always like between the ages of like 26 and 40, 45, somewhere in that range. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. A lot so, of millennials. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's actually what it is. It feels like almost like a strictly millennial and like early Gen X type of um, field, really. So what's it like working around all that all the time? I don't know. Uh I think uh, what has surprised me the most is how much, uh, I don't know, like how humdrum major things can, can be, you know, like, uh, like you're, you're dealing with all the, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it like, so like uh, childbirth, right? Someone's mm-hmm. having a kid and how massive an event that is for that person, uh, uh, for that person's family and everything It's this massive thing that happens in their lives. And, or, or, I mean, even more extreme examples would be like major illness or accidents or, you know, things like that. Major things that happen in people's lives that you need HR to help sort out all the, the fine print of, right? Yeah. And, but like to us, it's like, oh, okay, I'm, oh, yeah, no, it looks like, uh, oh, okay, yeah, we got someone that got hit by a semi or, you know, whatever. And it's like, to us, it's just, it's just business, you know, once, once it gets down to, you know, filters through the layers and stuff, you just get a form, you get a, a you know, a, a request in, in the, uh, in the queue or whatever. And, and you just, you, know, you click the buttons and do the calculations and stuff like that. It's, 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 yeah, it, it's a lot less dramatic than I expected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's an interesting field. And, and, uh, well, I'll say also, uh, if you're good with numbers, uh, like if you're, if you're, if you t- took a, a fair amount of stats and stuff like that, uh, and, uh, and you're generally like numerically, you got some good shops, HR might be a field where you could be very successful because the, the, the level of discomfort I've seen from people with dealing with very basic mathematical processes. Uh, and I'm not a good math guy. Like I'm not amazing or anything. I, I took some stats over the years and stuff like that, but I'm not like a, like a math punk, you know, <laughs> My, I'm kind of uh, kind of an average math student, but like I, I'll just do like, you know, calculations in my head or I, you know, write little macros in Excel and stuff. And people are like, are you a wizard? It's like, no, <laughs> I just, uh, I Google things, you know, but yeah. <laughs> Some basic. So yeah, to your listeners, if, if they are, uh, are, are good with math and relatively verbal might be a, a relatively verbal, for you. probably not most of our listeners, honestly, a bunch of the nonverbal <laughs> crowd. <laughs> They're all grunting. They, they communicate in grunts and, and say single words. Yeah, yeah. they're so, <clears throat> based. <laughs> they let yeah. us talk for them. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, um, man, fuck, what I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, sorry, Joe. <laughs> Bear with me no here for a moment. Slav, can you carry this for one second while I think about what I was about to say? I was about to ask a question, and, and it's just gone from my brain. Oh, yeah, you're good, man. Let me bring up my, uh, my uh, topic. Christ. If you want, I could vamp a little bit. I, I could yeah, give some vamp life a little. advice. Yeah, yeah give yeah. me life advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. So uh, uh, recently, some changes in my life that, uh, I mean, for one thing, th- this job that, that's relatively new, uh, but also uh, I, uh, I started lifting weights pretty regularly. Mm. Well, not, not pretty regularly, like, like two, three times a week. Not, I'm not going crazy with it. You know, I'm not in there doing squats and stuff like that. I stick to the machines and stuff. But between lifting weights, the new job, uh, I finally pulled together the cash, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to buy myself an old pickup truck. And, uh, yeah. and between those three things, and also, I guess, cleaning up my diet a little bit, but I, I am at a level of, of comfort and happiness in my life that I have not reached before. Dude, oh, I mean, I, yeah. I guess I gotta, gotta give a shout out to church, you know, involvement. Uh, I, I, I still, you know, I, I characterize myself as, as an agnostic as I, I really don't know what I believe. Uh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not really sure, but being involved with church in and of itself, you know, I see these things on, uh. I don't know, like, I don't know if you guys saw that, that post that, uh, shoe on head, uh, I saw a screenshot of it. Someone sent me, you know, you guys know shoe on head, right? Familiar. The, yeah. the YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. She had a post, uh, that someone sent me a screenshot of that, that she had screenshotted. So it's, you know, we're, we're we have to go deeper. <laughs> yeah. um, she, she had shared this, this, this screenshot of like people commenting on some YouTube video being like the only person to be sad if I died was my mom and like, and stuff like that. And I'm just like, man, that is crushing. Uh, but like, it doesn't take that much to, yeah. to get into a different space than that mm-hmm. in your life, mentally, emotionally, socially, all that stuff. And for me, a big part of, of, of what made a difference for me was church. Uh, yep. You know, I returned to the, the faith that I was raised in, which is, right. you know, Roman Catholicism, which what according up? to Twitter automatically makes me a trad cath, I understand. <laughs> Um, but uh, you're either, I, you're no either, means. you're either a trad cath or you're a, or you're just like a vote blue, no matter who Democrat and there's no a left cath. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. God. But, uh, but yeah, that type of variety. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I guess, and, and my point about that is as you go to church, as you get more involved and, and they will want you, uh, you know, uh, they, they said in Monty Python, the meaning of life, uh, the, uh, if there's one thing you know about Catholics, they take you as soon as you're warm. And, uh, you know, it, it is, any, you know, doors are open, all are welcome, that kind of thing. And, and most churches are like that, to be honest. And if you show up and you get involved in stuff, uh, you will get to know people and they will get to know you and, yes. and they would miss you. Like, for example, I've been on a different schedule. I'm, I'm an usher at my church. Uh, and I've been on a different schedule because we had somebody out of town. I was covering for, for, for their spots. And uh, an old lady that, that shows up to the time I usually go uh, apparently was asking uh, the staff at the church, like, is Joe OK? Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him. I'm getting very worried. And that I mean, that really touched my heart, you know, because mm-hmm. it's yep. only been, like, you know, a few weeks since I've seen the lady. But, uh, you know, and, and but that's that's what I'm talking about is like if, if you think nobody well, if, if nobody's going to miss you. If something were to happen to you, you have the power to change that. You just have to get involved. You know, you got to right. take that step, you know? Yep. Anyway, yeah. that's my, my two bits of, uh, of self-help. No, well, I'm, I'm glad it, that I'm glad you ahead. brought this up on the vamp here uh, because we definitely wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, church life in general and your involvement with it. 
Um, but it mm-hmm. sounds like to me kind of spe- specifically what you're speaking to here is like kind of the steps you have to take on your own to get involved and be a part of a community. Um, because, yeah. you know, we are living in a place that is like a, a kind of an isolated era where like, you know, the church is not quite as strong as it used to be. Other types of public groups and communities are kind of like, you know, shrinking and or going online, that kind of stuff. And so it can feel difficult to connect with others and to like you feel like you don't have any outlet for, you know, getting involved or you're not a part of a community. And I think what you're speaking to is that really like to be a part of a community, it also takes you you know, taking a Mm -hmm. step towards that. And it's really not that hard because at the end of the day, people are trying to really look out for each other. Like at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're hardwired to do. There is empathy. There is a communal sense of, uh, you know, value share between people. And so if you can go out and just put yourself into a place, and like you're saying, the church is a great place to start, obviously, um, because it's something that fosters that as a pretty active intention of of what they're doing and what their belief system is. And so... Yeah, I think that that's that's something that's really powerful to speak to is that like it does just you people sit around and waste away and they're like, well, I don't have a community or like no one cares about me or whatever. But you got to go and get involved with other people's lives. You got to go and put yourself into spaces where you are developing a community and actually, you know, in the place to be be there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and uh, it does take it takes you like taking. Yeah. Like I say, that first step sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, you know, like this all started for me at a, at a time in my life when I was very low, uh, you know, like maybe a little over four years ago, I was very low. I'd gotten laid off from what I thought was going to be my job until I retired. Uh, and I'd been making pretty like not amazing money, but okay money. And I was secure. I was miserable in the job. Uh, I was extremely unhappy, but, but at the same time, it was just comfortable enough that I wasn't going to go anywhere. And then I got laid off, you know, through, through no fault of my own. It was a restructuring thing. Mm. And, uh, uh, and was yeah, but, but it was COVID that or after COVID oh, yeah. started. Okay. okay About before. one year. Exactly. Actually, before the COVID pandemic started. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been laid off. And so, uh, you know, and I, I was applying to stuff, but I, you know, I didn't, I, my heart wasn't in it. I was, I was just wildly depressed and, and mourning, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, the loss of that career. And, uh, I don't think I got a single interview all the way through. Uh, and then, um, <clears throat> once the, the pandemic was really starting to kick in, mm-hmm. uh, well, I, I should say before that, that summer, uh, of 2019, uh, I, a friend actually was asking me about, you know, cause she was interested in converting to the faith and she knew I'd been raised in it. And she, she kept asking me questions. And, and, you know, at that point I'd been away for more than 20 years. I, you know, after for, for Catholics in the crowd, after confirmation, which is your, you know, it's sort of like the, the Catholic bar mitzvah. Um, yeah. so but the Catholic bar mitzvah, by the way, sounds like an amazing movie. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I've been away from the church for like like t- more than twenty years at this point. And I, in in the course of telling uh, my friend about this, I realized like, well, I didn't really dislike church. You know, it was just I wanted to sleep in more than I wanted to go to church, and that's why I got out of the habit of going. Yep. And uh, and so I started looking around, and I found this one that was not far from me at all. And I went and talked to the, the priest. Uh, you know, uh, and he's, by the way, an incredible, incredible human being. Um, he's since retired, but, uh, but anyway, so he welcomed me in and he plugged me in with, uh, there's a men's group at the church. There's a couple of them actually plugged me in with the one men's group, uh, who I met with that very Sunday. And I, that was kind of my beginning of getting back out there, you know, was going and and all these guys were, I think the youngest one might've been just short of 70 at the time. So I was the, the youngest 
member of this group and still am by a good 30, 35 years. But, uh, but yeah, joining with that group, uh, at first it was just, you know, we'd meet after church every now and then and have like a discussion about spirituality and masculinity or, or whatever the topic was. Uh, and then sometimes we'd go out to the bar, <laughs> which was cool, uh, going out with some old guys at the bar because I guess they, they knew the owners got really good prices. But nice. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking like $1.50 domestic beers. Like I've, oh, I've, I've not yeah. seen prices like that in a long time. But uh, anyway, so and then once pandemic hit, the one guy was like, hey, I used to volunteer at this this uh, food pantry charity mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because uh, it's COVID now, uh, the 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 person that runs it doesn't want, uh, doesn't want me to come in and help because, you know, uh, I'm too old, uh, you know, at, at that time. And this was like what, March, 20, 2020, uh, that was when they were saying to, to the elderly, like, you know, anyone over 70, like, don't even leave your house. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh, so yeah. And he was like, I'd like to go help this lady. She's stuck. She doesn't have anybody to help her. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go. And, uh, and that was, that was what really kicked my life back into gear. Uh, and, it, it, you know, I wasn't getting paid or anything. I just went and volunteered for, I don't know, it was a good four or five months. I just volunteered three times a week and helped hand out food uh, and helped, uh, you know, take in donations, helped un- unload the uh, pallets of food that we would get delivered from the food bank, uh, just all kinds of stuff like that. And that's really what turned it all around for me. Eventually, you know, she was like, look, you're wildly overqualified for the job, but do you want to be my assistant? And I was like, yeah, sure. I did that for for a, a good while. And uh then they, it looked like student loans weren't going to come due again. So I was like, well, uh, I got I to find something that pays better. So that's why I, I ended up leaving that job. But it wasn't, you know, dissatisfaction with the work in any way. Yeah, I was, I was going to actually ask you about that experience because a couple of things that interest me, it gives you insight into kind of what it's like working in like a charity-based uh, nonprofit oh, yeah. kind of thing. And also working that during COVID, it's kind mm-hmm. of a, it's a specific time to be working in that industry. I feel like a lot of people, I think homelessness increased during COVID, it seemed, um, or at least afterwards, and people just really struggling and pushed to the brink. And so I wanted to ask some questions about kind of what the atmosphere was like in that. But before Absolutely. that, um, you mentioned that that's kind of what helped get your life back on track. And this is something that's kind of um, familiar to me because I had a similar experience um, starting after COVID. I got laid off from my job. I uh, didn't have, you know, work in the industry that I had worked in my whole life up to that point, which was, you know, not long, six years because I was a young kid. Um, but still, like, I, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what to do. And I ended up getting a job at this, you know, local food access, uh, nonprofit urban farm thing where I was working and, you know, working in the farm. I think I remember farm. you posting about that. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I was working yeah. like in the fields, learning about growing the food, but also a big, big side of it was doing food access. So I was going around and this was right in the throes of COVID. Like this was in 2020 and 2021. And so it was, you know, people were still very worried about it and people were still like out of, out of work and out of their jobs because industries were still shut down, specifically where I was living, which was in Denver, um, where they really, they really, really took all that serious with the lockdowns. Anyway, yeah, so they weren't messing around. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, but doing that switch really kind of like I lost my job and I was kind of like depressed. I was worried with COVID and everything. Didn't know what was going to happen. And then I also didn't really like working in the field I worked in before, but I just did it because it felt more comfortable. It's what I had experience in. It was what I was secure with. And having to make a change and being forced to change into it and then finding a you know, line of work where I felt like I had a purpose to the community specifically. 
and helping others in a direct, meaningful way. I think that really kind of changed my outlook on what I wanted to do, which helped me kind of get my life back on track as far as like, yep. you know, setting up intentions for who do I want to be yeah. going forward and what do I want to do? So I wanted to ask you, like, what was it specifically about the work that you felt like kind of helped get your life back on track? Was it the sense of purpose that you got from it? Was it the community that you got from interacting with people all the time? Um, kind of speak to that a little bit, if you will. Yeah, it, it wasn't even... I don't know what what the difference was that uh, what I had been doing before was very abstract. Okay, I guess I, I don't want to say too much about it. It was abstract, and, it, and and you know it was the kind of stuff that like you think, oh maybe you know long down the line, you know in the future at some point this might make a, a, an impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, the immediacy of working in in charity and community yeah. services and stuff like that, uh, of seeing the effect that your help has in the moment, you know. Uh, and, and, and even moving, you know, moving forward, you know, like, uh, you know, someone that, that, that was all out of uh, laundry detergent, then you hooked them up, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we got laundry detergent. It's like, oh man, now I can clean my clothes, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and you see them the next time and their clothes aren't dirty, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you can have this impact. But to me, the biggest thing was helping. And this is where I always say, I sound corny as, as I'll, I'll get out. I sound like uh, Bill Murray at the end of Scrooged. You got, have you guys seen Scrooged? Yeah. Yeah. man. Yeah. You know, when he's like, he's like, you get, you get addicted to the helping. You yeah. want to help some more. And it's, it, it is a hundred percent true. It you get true. hooked on it. Mm -hmm. And, and it, the thing that I grew to realize both as, as the, the, uh, you know, the, the specter of student loans was, was staring me down. Um, <laughs> uh, but I also realized like, you know, I don't have to be helping in the immediate need with things in order to be helping. Helping is, 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 a uh, I mean, unless you're actually, you know, working in, in, business or, or, or finance or whatever, whatever the hell they call it, you know, unless you're working with the money, you know, and shifting money around in equations and stuff, you can, you can take that spirit of helping and that perspective, that mindset of how can I help? Yep. Uh, and you can take that to any number of fields, you know, you oh, can yeah. make it about helping people find work, which is one of the things I did. But, you know, uh, now that I work in human resources, I look at it as like, People come to me with a problem about, you know, whatever's going on with their, their employment, you know, division that I work in. Uh, and I, I always, you know, when I answer the phone, I say, how can I help you? You know, it's, it's like, yada, yada, here's my name. Here's a division you called. How can I help? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that, that's that's the mindset I approach it with. And, and I think sometimes it also, uh, I guess I can say it kind of pisses off my boss because uh, <laughs> she... She says, we're not necessarily here to help. We're here to do our job. And I'm like, right. okay, all right. You know, because <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, you, you can say that. And, but until she tells me she's going to fire me for being nice, I'm going to keep being nice, you know, mm -hmm. like, and she's not going to, she's not going to say that, you know, I think it just frustrates her that sometimes I'm trying to be helpful. Uh, and in doing so I can, uh, you know, uh, tell people maybe more than, than they, they, would have known if somebody else had right. picked up the phone. I'm not saying I, I tell them anything I shouldn't. It's just, you know, I, I tend to provide more context and information and, and right. options to people than is are necessary necessary to the conversation. But I see that as as part of, you know, that I don't know, maybe it's my, my tiny bit of rebellion. <laughs> yeah. Now that I work well, with, with just, the, the cops of the workplace, you know. It's but, also just yeah. like making uh making the world like a, a less horrible place to navigate. <laughs> yeah. And like you can Amen. actually just have a you you you're doing something you don't want to fucking do. I, I was earlier today, honestly, earlier today, like right before we were getting on uh to record, I was dealing with some like wedding planning stuff. And it requires me 
to I'm like renting a vehicle and I need to like oh, man. call this vehicle rental place, but I also need to like coordinate with like the state because really specific things going on for our wedding. So I need to like mm-hmm. call like some state office and it's just a fucking nightmare. And like those and the guy that I called at the rental place was just like really chill, you know? Yeah. And he was just like a good guy. And even honestly, even just like, I'm not even really hard to please. Like even just somebody in an organization that I don't really necessarily want to be talking to just like being chill and like calling me dude or like doing just a tiny little extra thing that could even just be the difference between an extra three seconds of them working will can can have the capacity to like change the trajectory of my entire day it's almost like an authenticity thing it's like dude treat me like like, we're both real human beings here treat me like a real human being i hate when i walk into a place that's like they have their employees talk in a very structured and monitored way and that kind of thing like i used to work at a place that was like um in the hospitality industry and they were going for, you know, high five star or four star Forbes, you know, hotel, spa, whatever. And they wanted you to say very specific wording all the time. You had to talk in a specific way. Like they were, they kind of monitored what kind of how, like what grammar you used and stuff as well. And when you walk into a place that's like that and you're greeted with this robotic, very like structured language, that's, you know, something that was typed up by some sort of person in, you know, consulting firm or maybe in some division of HR or something. It's very unsettling. It's yeah, it's alienating as a regular person. It's like what we were talking about with the Trump and the authenticity. It's like yeah. when it, people have a good meter for reading what's real or what's not to them as far as individual interpersonal interactions. And so when there's an individual and they're being so fake to you, it's like, dude, just be real to me. Like, you don't need to say all this extra stuff. You can call me dude. I know we're in a formal setting, but like, just talk to me and let's get the thing done that I'm here for. I don't yep. need all this accessory bullshit around it. I just need you to be a real human being and me be a real human being. And let's just do the task at hand. And I yep. think that that's a big part of it. Like people get caught up in a lot of the like bureaucratic, like language structuring and stuff. And I think that for a couple of reasons, A, you're forced into doing it. Um, and then once like industries just start doing it across the board, it becomes standardized and it's like a precedent. Mm-hmm. And so other places think, oh, well, we need to adopt this same mentality and this same, the same system. And so then all of a sudden everyone's doing it. And that's kind of how this like, you know, these kind of systems work in a way. And it's very, well, it can come bottom up too. It, yeah. it can totally come bottom up is that, you know, if you, if you hire someone who worked at, I don't know, whatever Apple or whatever, and, and Apple employees have the way that they're taught to speak. Yep. And then they, 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 you know, that person from Apple instead is working at uh, Dell or whatever the hell, oh, yeah. you know, and, and so they bring their, they bring that way of talking, even if they're not consciously doing it. Yeah. They bring that same way of talking and, and then it just becomes like a skill set, like a uniform skill set. Definitely. Across that, that, that sector of the economy that everybody talks the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I worked in a spa for a long time and I developed like a certain voice that I was using and it's just kind of my natural voice but like just a soothe a soothing voice like mm-hmm. a little bit more calm and stuff like that because that's what people are looking for and then I like also a certain kind of customer service attitude and then I realized after doing that for years and years and years like it was affecting how I was talking with other people even outside of work how I was talking with some of my friends sometimes and I was like it's it's bizarre when that kind of 
structuring and stuff can really seep into like after time like repetition you can start picking up those habits in ways that you don't really know consciously Mm -hmm. and so that can like affect how the people around you start to act and talk too so yeah it's almost like this weird spreading contagion um but you spoke to something in when you were talking about hr and how sometimes you know you say stuff that maybe is a little bit more context than you might should or maybe need to give and I, I think it speaks to an interesting thing that I was wondering about working in HR, which is, so you mentioned that like HR is kind of like the policeman of the work of the workforce and they're viewed that way yeah. one way or another. And at the end of the day, you're there kind of, you're negotiating between the employer and the employee and you're kind of there on the behalf of the employer to ensure, you know, the proper procedures are done and look out for the better interests of the company, but also as someone who's working with, you know, employees and individuals and helping them get benefits, you want to see their best interests, you know, as well. And if you're a good hearted person, which you are, Joe, then of course you're looking Mm -hmm. to help them out in a larger way. So what is that kind of conflict like uh, encountering that? Um, Is it difficult to be in a place where you feel like you're the police of the workplace and you're dealing with these employees? And also, do you find that, it's difficult to sometimes balance the, you know, procedures and the best interests of the company with what actually what the employee needs. And how does that kind of um, impact with you personally? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's heavy. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to. No, no, it's fine. I, I just I, I hadn't I hadn't necessarily thought about it in these terms. I think part of why I haven't thought about it like this is uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Uh, so I studied a. Uh, did a lot of my schooling in psychology mm-hmm. and uh there's this term uh that ca- comes out as what is we now realize some some flawed research but this term diffu- uh diffusion of responsibility mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah you so you're familiar with the concept that, you know once once there's uh if there's a, a situation that uh 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 well in, in the, the the classical like the the v experiment on this it was uh uh, uh um you know, there's smoke starts coming under the door of a waiting room where your participant, your, your research subject is sitting. And depending on if there's if they're alone in there, they immediately go to the door and they open it and they start saying, hey, there's smoke going like what's what's going on. Whereas if there's two or three people in there that, that uh, are referred to as Confederates, although uh, they are not good old boys, they're <laughs> yeah. research Confederates. Yeah. But yeah, so if, if, if you're, you're undercover fake participants are in there and they act like nothing is happening or, or they, they don't do anything about it, you, that, that, that uh, the actual research subject will just, the, 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 on average, they'll just sit there for a lot longer before they do anything, right. uh, if they ever do anything. And so, so that's the, the classic, and you know, of course I'm, I'm not in stakes quite that high usually, but uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I think a lot of it is that particularly in larger organizations, you have uh, companies, organizations, whatever, you have this, uh, this diffusion of responsibility because there's so many departments, uh, divisions and stuff like that, that any one person is one step in that process. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I, I don't actually you know, by the time things get to me, I'm, I'm low on the totem pole. Uh, oh God, I said totem pole. Am I going to get canceled? <laughs> yeah, oh, you're boy. making a native American uh, reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think people can but, still uh, say that. I, 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 boy, I hope so. Cause I just did. But, uh, <laughs> so if, if you're, uh, if you know, it, where, where I'm positioned a lot of time by the, by the time something gets to me, uh, you know, it's already kind of been decided and I'm just kind of clicking a yeah. button, you know? Um, 
and and or or I'm so early in the process that I'm just initiating something. Right. So uh, so in, in that regard, but I I do struggle sometimes because th- there are small ways that I have a certain amount of leeway in certain decisions. There are ways that I can kind of I, I won't say fudge things, but there are judgment calls even in a, a position like mine that's relatively rules based and and. I don't know what you, you call it, like table driven and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things that are that are structural, th- there are fudge factors, right? That I can kind of play with, and uh, in, in those situations, um, the, the the hard part is not taking into account the way that the uh, employee has treated me specifically, um, okay. because sometimes it is someone that I've had a fair amount of interaction with. And sometimes they're really nice and sometimes they're not, oh, right. uh, despite yeah, my yeah. best efforts to be, you know, uh, very warm and, and engaging and, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, human about it. Uh, but sometimes people are just not very nice. Uh, and uh, but yeah, so so I try really hard to not make that part of my decision making. Uh, it is extremely tempting. And same of thing with, with, with backing, backing up an employee if their supervisor has been, frankly, kind of a prick. You know, if, if the, if the, 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 the supervisory structure seems to have it in for this person or, or is just being, you know, sticklers and, and pricks about it, it's really hard. Uh, but in, in, in those situations, I'm a little more inclined to side with, I mean, not that I can really side with either side, but I, I'm more inclined to be a little more relaxed about rules with the employee. Mm-hmm. If the, if it seems like the, the supervisors are kind of jerkwads. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to really just make you really like have to think too hard about you no, know, no, 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 what you're doing. And I didn't mean to portray it in any negative. No, light it, it, it's interesting because it, it really like it made me realize that yeah, I don't run into those. I mean, this is, I sound like a freaking uh, like a concentration camp guard. You know? <laughs> like, well, you know, that'll I don't, <laughs> I don't push them into the showers. I just I just flip the switch. You know, yeah. it's like that's that's my only part. You know, it's like, but it's it is it's it's diffusion of responsibility. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll have to be more more thoughtful moving forward. I don't know. Yeah. Well, in a certain level, that's that's the case in all jobs. I feel like because I mean, like if you're, you know, working in any type of job for any type of large industry or corporation, at the end of the day, like you you know, you, there's things that you're doing that are maybe not, you know what you would do otherwise if it was up to you or like maybe you have to do certain procedures and stuff and so no matter what you're doing if you're like serving you know burgers or if you're doing whatever you're still kind of you know you're ha- you're caught up in these like rules and systems that can sometimes be difficult to navigate while because they didn't always take into account the human aspect of it and i think that that's yeah. what it's really important when you're dealing with hr because i've had good hr people and bad hr people and a part of it is really like are they engaging with the human aspect of it or not? And I think that's kind of something that you're speaking to when you're saying you try to be like an actual human being in these situations rather than just kind of like, you know, you say you're just clicking a button, but you, you don't want to just be the person that's just clicking a button. And I think that that's right. something that's that's nice. It's almost like a bedside manner for a nurse. You know, it's yeah. at that extra level. Um, I think that's important to have. Oh, 100%. And, you know, the, the, the other side of, you know, in a big organization, the other side of like most people have basically, I mean, they have like a tiny sliver of power. The weird thing that I've found in, in larger organizations, and I've worked in a couple now, um, universities and, uh, and, and non-university entities and stuff like that, 
one of the things I've found is that yes, there are most people have very little to no power over anything. Uh, mm. They have like little slivers of power here and there, and then there are a few people who have absolutely massive influence over how events proceed. Who are those? And people? that's a very good question. Um, it's um, sometimes it's it's uh, oh I don't know, and, and their pay usually reflects it. Right. So obviously, I mean, everyone thinks of the CEO and stuff like that, but um, whoever keeps the numbers, so to speak, whoever runs the budget, like, or I shouldn't say runs the budget, but whoever monitors and directs the budget, that person, uh, they have powers that you don't even know about. Like, yeah. I, I, I've, I've only seen the tip of the iceberg so far, but it's already like, oh, oh, okay. So that's a person I never want to cross in any way. Yeah, like, yeah. if that person sends me a request, it moves to the top of the pile, even, I, I don't know, like, even even if, if, if Jesus himself is next to me, I'm going to say, bro, just a second. I got to deal with the director of budget, you know, like, yeah. uh, so, so yeah, I mean, people like that or, uh, and sometimes it's, it's also like, it, it, it's, it's power in, uh, very subtle ways or, or unexpected ways. Like, uh, so anytime you apply for a job and, uh, it's, it's a, a job that they have to call around and find out where you worked before and get verification that you worked at this place from the, this date to this date. Right. Uh, there's somebody like if you worked at like a, a I don't know like a a, a, a workplace that had twenty thousand people or whatever. There's probably one person, even at that size of an organization, there's probably one person, maybe two, but most likely one person who does every single one of those employment verification things. Oh wow! And if they decide to drag their feet, you might you might just not get your job. Mm -hmm. You know, you, if 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 the 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 people try to get employment verification, or I mean, frankly, uh, applying for a loan. You know, like if yeah. you're applying for for certain types of loans and stuff like that, they have to employ, uh, they have to verify your, your employment. And if that person is dragging their feet, doesn't like you, or is just having a bad week or whatever, like if they, if they just decide not to do it, or they forget about it, or it gets lost in the shuffle, like that's a person that has massive amounts of power. Like like the way like that that's a butterfly effect kind of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it is. It's. it's I, I don't know. It's, from an academic level, it's like a fascinating thing about it. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say like that hiring dynamic you laid out. It's like a choke point in the process. It's. Just it like, is. That yes. naturally kind of creates these powerful positions, and which is mm -hmm. funny because these are probably like a lot of just like petty middle managers that don't, right. That aren't. Oh, not managers. even managers. Not mm -hmm. even managers. That's the crazy right. thing. The person <laughs> at my organization that does every employment verification. Uh, for the entire like thousands and thousands of employees, that person, uh, the position requirements are like high school diploma. Uh, the pay is not horrible, but it's not great. You know, it's not. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's certainly not like like uh, manager pay. Sure. Uh, and that's that's that person. It's like like if this person is this vital to your employees, I would I would make a point of compensating that person wildly well. Uh, but, but it's not up to me, you know? Yeah. 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 It makes me wonder how much, um, incompetency is, a, is a worry in these kind of, you know, really bloated systems where you're talking about, they create these choke points where it's like, mm -hmm. everything is kind of up in this one person's hands and it's, you know, innocuous power. It's not like it's like they're making an explicit decision of how a budget's going to go or whatever, but that person at the end of the day does have a lot of, what they do has a lot of repercussions. Like you're saying, it's kind of like a butterfly effect. So it makes mm -hmm. me wonder how much these systems kind of create those 
and how much of a worry like incompetency is, especially moving forward. Because I feel like, and this may just be me just kind of not having a great, you know, op, you know, being pessimistic about my generation or whatever. But I just see a lot of people that just don't seem to have a great grasp on, um, you know, what they're actually doing and people who are, you know, kind of just going through college and stuff like that and getting these degrees without actually any real education in them. They're just getting them as like a, as a thing to go forward. And then they get put into these positions or, or maybe even you're talking about this one, you don't need a college degree, but you're just kind of here. And it makes me wonder just like how resilient is a system that's built on that, that creates these kind of little vectors where there could be one person who's incompetent and just really ruin something for so many individuals. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a question that, that, you know, given that I'm in HR, uh, I actually do think about these bottlenecks a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big one that you'll find, and this is pretty much, I don't know, any employer over, I, if, I, mean, I don't know, like, you know, back of the envelope kind of thinking here, uh, maybe over 100 people, even even not even, I would say even 50 people, but uh, a major concern. And the thing that, that I ha- have seen impede the most progress and the most work getting done is access management. So who gets access to which things in the digital world? Right. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you need a, a record, like if all, if, if all the records are paper and you need like a record of some kind, you can go there and they can say, uh, okay, uh, you know, oh, you need that person's, you know, record or whatever. You need you need that sheet of paper. You're not allowed to have it. And they, they say, but I'm going to call this person who will say whether you're allowed to have this piece of yeah. paper. They call that person. That person says, oh, yeah, 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 you, 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 can, you can give them a copy of that, right? So that, that's when it's in paper. You have systems like that. But when it's all digital and you're supposed to have access to all the people in this department or, or, or whatever, you're supposed to have access to all that stuff or all the people in that area need help with, with something specific right now. And the person who usually handles their stuff is on vacation. Yeah. And there is like if there is no backup, like you, you hit this bottleneck where you might have like, you know, hundreds of people don't get paid or they don't get paid the right amount or, or, you know, whatever, like you could have these, <coughs> excuse me, you can have these bottlenecks show up and, uh, and it all comes down to, to access management. And that is not like, I don't know. Cause I, I have a friend that works in, in information security at a pretty high level. And I was kind of like, well, frankly, I was bitching to him about this, this problem. And he said, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it seems like it would be ever so simple that you could just, like there'd be a toggle button, like, yeah. uh, you know, like on Facebook, you know, like, oh, just select audience, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but like uh, it, it is it is not that simple at all. Like they have to they have to do a lot of like back end work to give somebody access to, to, to certain things. And uh, mm-hmm. and they always have a massive queue of requests. And it's like so to me, I if I were an employer who had been told about that. I would go out and find the five best people or whatever number, the five best people I could possibly find and make it a priority to push them into the workplace uh, and, you know, hire them and get them on the ground and doing the work as quickly as possible, because that's going to make everything else run more smoothly. Um, But, you know, again, they're they're not asking me. Yeah, I think about this access problem a lot. Like I encountered it not even from a back end on a computer, but just from like working like a a retail type position, right? So maybe a customer comes in, they have a problem, they need a refund or whatever. 
and you can't mm -hmm. actually give them the refund, even though you're the person that has the drawer and has the computer and has the system, you, you know, have to wait on a manager or whatever to come by with the card. Okay. But what if the manager is an asshole or he's, you know, just dicking around or he's on mm -hmm. lunch or whatever, then it creates a situation where it's like, you know, now I can't actually help the lady who needs the refund or whatever, even though I'm sitting here looking at a drawer full of money and I could pull up her, her yep. card and everything. I could do the process. I physically have everything I need to do to do it, but I can't because I don't have this like digital code or whatever. And yep. I, I know obviously they build these things into, you know, into systems and in place as, you know, protection so that there's not someone who's just up there running infinite refunds, keeping the money, whatever it is. But still, yeah, yeah. these things, they, they lead to a lot of blockages and bottlenecks like you're talking about where it just kind of creates a certain inefficiency that's baked into the system, it feels like. Yeah, and I don't know that there are necessarily people thinking about that aspect of process. I mean, I'm sure there are. There's always somebody thinking about it. You know, there's always somebody. It's somewhere on somebody's... Uh, Oh, what's the term Gantt chart or whatever, you yeah. know, like their, their project management chart, they've got a thing in there somewhere that says, Oh yeah, uh, let's, let's review access management. But in the meantime, they also have five lawsuits and, uh, you know, and a pile of other horse shit that they've got to deal with. So it's like, we'll get to access management someday, uh, until the wheels fall off. We're, we're going to, we're going to let access management be, but yeah. And, and, and you're, you're hundred percent right that like, there is the, like the actual information security component of that, that is incredibly important like you have to uh you can't have everybody have access to everything because right. that you know uh that that's a nightmare of, of its own type but uh but yeah 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 anyway yeah neither here nor there <laughs> yeah it just feels like these they just kind of creates a lot of opportunity for there to be inefficiency which then just kind of mm -hmm. i feel like just kind of clogs up things even further and then when you're just like a everyday you know worker and i'm sure like you run into a lot like if there's an employee who needs something or whatever and you're not able to actually access what you need to to give it to them right away you're the person that they're dealing with so it deflects a lot of it as well like even if you don't have the responsibility or the um maybe the ability to access the stuff that they need or whatever you're still the person who they're going through and the channel through which they they can access that. So it's the blame is placed at your feet and it creates all this just yep. misdirection. And it, that's something that's really frustrating as an employee that works within that framework. And I'm sure you encounter oh, it yeah. a lot. Well, people tend to look at it as the monolithic HR, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's with big, big quotes around it. Like, oh, the, well, you're HR, you should be able to do this. It's like, oh, man. If I could only do that, that would be amazing. I've, I've told people that like, oh man, yeah, if I could make that change, that would be great. I can't though. Uh, you're going to have to call this other division. Uh, and, but, but people do, they, they look at it as, as all, you're all the same thing. You're all HR people. And uh, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Uh, but, but that's also part of what you get paid for, to be honest, is mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, like in, in, in long ago, in an earlier part of my life, one of my jobs was uh, working with uh, kids in what they call a residential treatment facility, which is a, a it's like a group home um, okay. for kids that that for whatever reason foster care didn't work out for. Sure. And that's where I learned how to take an insult. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and which is is a really like like having someone be mad at you and call you horrible things and you can't really do anything about it is a very good learning experience. Like I had a kid, oh, what do you call me a dickhole? And I'm like, and I was just like, I was shocked. This like, like eight year old kid called me a dick hole. 
because I wouldn't let him have sugared cereal for breakfast because <laughs> that was doctor's orders. You know, it's like that's 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 your your diet plan, buddy. Like I can't I can't let you have uh, sugary cereal. And he come you dickhole. And and for a second I was like, whoa, who the hell? And I was like, oh right, you're eight. And and like you know, and I actually complimented. Him. I was like, you know, honestly, I've never been called a dickhole before. That's actually a pretty good one. You know, and it's it's that that's, what, that's kind of what you get paid for when you're in a customer yeah. service or or HR or whatever context is for people to be like, you son of a bitch. Like, how dare you? Uh, or I'll, I'll do my, my bog. How dare you? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I love when he says, how dare you? It's like one of my favorite, like the indignant bog. How I dare you? It's like chef's kiss. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, but like, I'll be my surprise like, there. <laughs> but yeah, like, like, you know, it's, it's like, but then after a while you're like, yeah, this person is, is not mad at me. The person they're not, they're not even mad at me, the job they're yep. mad at, at, at their situation. And, and you know, you yeah. get paid to, to, to be able to contextualize that and let it roll off you and stuff. And, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one thing specifically that I remembered and, you know, went through a lot working as customer service or a retail job is just like people coming in and they're pissed because they're either having a bad day or they're just an angry person generally. Um, or maybe mm-hmm. they're possessed, you know, or, or whatever. They got oh, yeah, some kind of some dark energy about them or they just got off the phone with someone that's telling them bad news or whatever. And they, yeah, they mm-hmm. just kind of unload on you. And it's like one of the worst things about working in that kind of industry. Um, but it, mm-hmm. there is there is a certain ability that you can learn through that happening. It's just kind of like a detachment from that happening because you're like, okay, well, this is not actually for me. This is for someone yep. else. They're frustrated about something else or whatever. But it still just sucks to be on the receiving end of that. And like, I would like to say that they just don't pay those positions enough to, to really be able <clears throat> to absorb the the blow of what that takes because like they just day after day after day dealing with that. It's just not a great mindset to be in. Just like, I mean, you, you can learn to dissociate from it and, you know, not actually like be like, yeah, they're mad at me, whatever, but it's still at the end of the day when that's, it's going to take a psychic toll. Yeah, of course. And so that's frustrating. And I imagine coming from children too, dude, children think up the most, (laughs) the damnedest insults. I feel like you might even say they say the darndest things. Yeah. Yeah. Is this where we go into Bill Cosby mode? <laughs> Dude, this is actually what the whole see what you gotta do with the kids. You gotta, yeah. gotta put a little something in their drink. Oh, um, fuck. No. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. do you, have you know, say what you will. Than... Say what you will. But honestly, I've been meaning to get this off my chest all week. Say what you will about Bill Cosby, but he didn't rape kids. All right. So, he wasn't that. He wasn't that bad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I w- yeah, I mean, and uh, uh, oh man, I, so I worked with a guy years and years ago who uh, one actually not it can't have been that long ago, uh, but it, it was just as the as the, the like the full force uh, news about Cosby was breaking, mm. and this guy like we were doing like icebreakers, get to know each other kinds of things because uh, we were all new, and he said his his like funny fact about himself was like I can do a dead on Bill Cosby impression, but I can't <laughs> do it anymore. Like that was, that used to be my interesting thing, but like, you just, you can't go around doing a Bill Cosby impression. And he was like the skinniest, whitest guy you've ever seen in your life. And, but he, and I was like, there's no way you do that good of a Bill Cosby impression. And he was like, you don't know, I I really do. And I can't anymore. And so we, we rode his ass for like, I don't know, like three or four days, just like every time we're at lunch, anytime we're hanging out or whatever, it's like, come on, you got to do the Bill Cosby. And so we finally, and 
it was spectacular when he finally like <laughs> it was it sounded like the guy was in the room like it was unreal but yeah it's a shame you know that's great when there's a mismatch of voice too to body. You're like, why is this skinny white oh dude gosh, sounding yes. like this old, like elderly black man right now? Yeah, right. This boy ain't right. <laughs> yeah, this boy ain't right. <laughs> Do you have any favorite insults that you heard? Uh, I mean, of course, they were, if they're directed at you, it's difficult to always look at them in a positive light of thinking that was actually good. But do you have any creative insults or anything that you encountered when you were working in the group homes around kids other than dickhole? <laughs> I mean, Dickel really, that stands out as the absolute <laughs> peak of them. Just, I mean, just for, for the, the, uh, the sheer, like unexpectedness of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was spectacular. Uh, I'm trying to think, I did have a kid call me a fat white man. Oh, and you're like, oh uh, shit, I can't, you know, I am white. And... <laughs> I mean, he's, he was right, but I was like, Hey, put, put your arm up next to mine. Cause I've, I've been, I've been working outside a lot and I, I was, I, you know, I, I, I tanned pretty dark and this, this kid was like, I mean, he was, he, he wasn't like, like, I don't know, like he wasn't Eddie Murphy, you know? And so I was like, put your arm next to mine. And my arm was darker than his. And I yeah. was like, but I was I like, you call it white. I, I, I hear you on the fat part. I, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. But uh, yeah. Classic crazy ass no. white boy moves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a different time. Gosh, that was like 20 years ago. But uh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other good insults. I mean, they all, they all just pale compared to Dickhole. That was the absolute best. Yeah. yeah. Dick, Dickhole's not bad. Dickhole's not bad. Dude, I want to from like an eight year old. I wanted know? to talk about, I wanted to talk about, I, I'm going to have the worst uh, segue in the world here, but Ooh, you, hard segue. We, we love doing that here. Don't we love the hard segue? Is this where, is this, is this, this is the, 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 uh, is this where we finally start to talk real about, no, wait, never mind. <laughs> call them by their name no we uh, do that no. off the air yeah yeah that's that's a that's behind the paywall um oh yeah no uh i was talking to you about like potential topics that you wanted to cover and you brought up like mental health and psychology and i was interested yeah. because this is something that we talk about a pretty decent amount uh, and so i, yeah, I, don't I heard know, you I, talking about it on the the episode with uh with yerk Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. You're talking about credentialing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to expect of what your, your take is for the most part. Um, and I feel like we've shared yeah, ours I mean, a lot. So yeah. What, I mean, what do you, what you got to say, Joe? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. So when I was in, uh, so I, I so like I said, I studied your advice is, your advice the, is uh, going to be, uh, go find a young black child to call you a dick hole. You could do worse. You could do worse. It, it, no, it's, um, it's, it's not bad. No, I'm, so uh, I don't know. So I kind of went into a little bit earlier when I, when I was doing my vamp for you. But um, that's kind of my solution to like my own mental health and happiness was, uh, you know, I stumbled into it kind of, you know, just here and there. I was like, you know, I got to get into better shape. So I started going to the gym mm -hmm. and uh, I got this new job. It just happened to work out uh, that I managed to get into this job despite never having worked in the field before. Uh, but, uh, yeah, th this kind of combination of factors and stuff, but that, that kind of, so that, that, that's, uh, I guess that's putting the, uh, the solution at, at, at the beginning. But, uh, when I was in, in school, I, I never studied the head shrink kind of psychology. Uh, I was doing more experimental kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, experimental kind of stuff, you know, we were talking about, you sound like a 
concentration camp worker earlier. What kind of experimental <laughs> psychology are you working on, dude? <laughs> uh <laughs> I, I can't comment on it but uh no it, it, it was it was actually super boring stuff like uh i don't know like uh, uh mental processes at the sort of nuts and bolts level so sure. like memory and you know that kind of thing uh memory attention is memory very perception. interesting to think about as far as like what where memory is stored and that kind of thing getting into that but that's oh, gosh, I, don't yeah. mean, I don't mean to sidetrack you uh continue no that's fine that's fine no it's it, but but uh you know this was even back in undergrad I had uh, this one professor that uh, talked about, you know, mental illness. Uh, you know, we, we have these these different definitions for it in psychology. Like, there's the, you know, it, it, it interferes with normal functioning, uh, you know, daily functioning life, and 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 stuff like that. Causes distress. It sits outside the norm of what people do in society as a whole. That kind of thing. But she said what, what she really cuts it down to is uh, a, a fundamentally an incompatibility between an individual and their environment, like mm. to, to the extent that it causes these things like distress and, and you know, f uh, uh, impedes functioning and stuff like that. So like, I think about that a lot because she's the only professor I ever heard uh, voice it in those terms, you know, yeah. that, 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 that it's this mismatch. You have the biology, you have the environment. And that there's there's a, an incompatibility or a mismatch or something like that, and so you look at what you know mental health as a as a field, uh, the way that they approach a person with mental illness uh, and the way that they uh, approach the the sort of treatment and, and 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 that kind of thing, and it is all about the individual. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't say all, but very very much like medicines. Medicines are certainly not about your environment. Any pharma, pharma, pharmaceutical that you're giving someone for their mental illness, that's that's 100% on the biology. Mm -hmm. uh, and even even therapy and stuff, it's like, well, we'll teach you some breathing exercises to help you deal with your uh, your anxiety. Uh, we'll teach you or we'll, we'll, we'll help you form new thought patterns that are, are more constructive and stuff. But it still puts it all on the individual rather than their situation. And that's that's I mean, that makes sense in a situation in, in a, a, a culture, a society where you can't, it's difficult to change. It's very difficult to change your situation sometimes. Right. Like it, you know, you're, you're not going to just walk away from a job just because you're, you're sad and anxious. Uh, you know, you have to keep paying the bills. You can't just walk. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you look at, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, someone's uh, very unhappy with, with something in their family life. We don't just abandon the family. I mean, maybe you do, but, uh, but that it's 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 much more socially acceptable as it should be to a certain extent. It's more socially acceptable to work on the individual rather than trying to change the situation. But yeah. everything that has made me happier, uh, I mean, I've been on antidepressants. I'll admit, I've got SSRI stare. It's it's gradually working its way out of my system. But uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it never made anywhere near as much of an impact as buying a stupid old beat up pickup truck. That thing is like every time I look outside and see it, I can see it, you know, I walk over to the window at work, I can see it in the parking lot. I'm, I'm, I'm the idiot that, that shows up at HR with uh, a freaking pickup truck uh, what from, kind uh, of, from uh, almost 30 years ago. What kind of pickup truck <laughs> is it, if you don't mind asking? Oh, yeah, yeah. it's it's, uh, it's an F-150, uh, oh, ninth nice. generation F-150. So from like the early to mid 90s. Oh, and, hell yeah, uh, I like uh, this. Yeah, it's five speed, it's four wheel drive, it's, it's the... That that's inline six cylinder engine that Ford made for like fifty years. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's and at, the, at 
at the point that I got it, they'd been making it for 30 years. They worked basically all the bugs out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an amazing truck. It's even got like a two inch lift on it. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's just, it's gorgeous. Did you drive um, a stick before you got the truck as well? Is that something that you're always doing or is that something that was a, a new change for the, with the truck? Well, I mean, I, well, I'm trying to think when I last had a car with a stick, uh, I had one, uh, for like four or five years back when I was in school. Um, and I originally learned on, uh, a 1987 Saab 900 oh, yeah. that at the time had 160,000 miles on it and was on its original clutch. Uh, so, uh, and, and my sister still has that car. It's amazing. It's, uh, it, it just won't die. But anyway, um. Yeah, so that's what I learned, and that was back in like the the late '90s that I learned uh, drive stick. And I, yeah, I drove it drove stick for a little while later, but yeah, I hadn't for I don't know, yeah, like 10, 12 years. I hadn't dri- driven a stick. Uh, I like driving and, a stick, uh, man. I drive a stick with fantastic. like work truck and stuff like that, and it keeps you a lot more engaged. Like it feels like you're really actually a part of the driving process because you're, right. you're actually using another part of your body that's kind of actually in physically controlling how the engine is operating. I mean, you're doing that with your foot, with the speed pedal as well, but it's just kind of an extra layer. And so it keeps you more engaged. And I think that it's, I think it's a fun experience. It almost reminds me of like, you know, arcade games back at the movie theater, whatever, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I would say it's, it, it requires you to anticipate more of your surroundings, definitely, which makes you be more aware of your, more of your surroundings. Uh, so yeah. But and it's also cheaper to repair, which is handy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I guess you know. And, and just to say, like, like uh, uh, buying that truck did. And it's not that that it's the material thing that makes me happy. I mean, yes, it is in a way, but it's what that truck uh, does to my daily life. Yeah. I guess that like the way I feel when I'm driving it makes me feel more. I don't know, more in charge, more powerful. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's it's it, I don't know, but that that makes it sound like it's it's a compensation thing, and maybe it is. I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, well, it's think, it's uh, yeah. Sorry, I go think ahead. what you mentioned about driving a stick in a manual it makes you more aware of your environment and actually paying attention and tune to it. I think it's the same thing with the mental health. Is what you're talking about? It's like being able to actually take a look around and look at yourself within your own environment. Have the ability to yeah. step back and look at that process, so you can identify what things don't jive and then make positive yeah. steps to change those things and orient them towards your life in a better way. And I think that's kind of like what you're talking about here is like you found out this is something that you like to do and this is something that makes you feel good in a positive way and you can do it. So it's a step that you took. And I think that that's something yeah. that's like a key part of it when you're talking about mental illness being something that's just not really a good jive between an individual and their environment. Someone that's not yeah. in the right environment, or maybe it's just not the right fit because of either expectations of the, you know, societal environment they're in, or whether it's the actual, like, you know, they are autistic and it can't be around loud noises or whatever, you know, no matter what it is, yeah. it, it takes considering what that is. And you have to do that as an individual. I don't think that this dichotomy between individualism and collectivism as far as a way of like understanding how people operate is really a good framework because i think that you have to operate as an individual within a broader sense of how you are in your environment as well so you need to treat an individual as an individual but you can't isolate them from their surroundings and from the society they're in and stuff like that and so i think that's a really important thing that gets missed a lot with mental health 
Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, this, this kind of ties back to uh, my work with, with the charity that I was, I was working with a while ago um, during COVID in particular um, that, uh, you know, th- th- I, I had uh, a lot of very romantic notions about the noble poor oh, and some, yeah. some people that live in poverty are a hundred percent noble people that do their absolute best, uh, you know, with very little. And, and they, you know, that, that there were moments of incredible, uh, uh, kindness and, and, right. and, uh, and positivity that I saw, like, you know, people that would say, Oh, you know, I know everybody gets a dozen eggs, but I don't really eat eggs. Uh, is, is there a mother in, in the line? And they'd look back in the line and, and there'd be like a, a lady that's got like three kids with her. And it's like, well, can I just give my eggs to her? And it's like, yeah, of course you can give your eggs to her, you know, if you don't need eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were, there were moments like that, that were genuinely heartwarming, uh, generosity and kindness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but there's also, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, there are people that, that are just, Hmm. I'm trying to find a way to say it without sounding like a total bastard, but well, there are people who are poor because they make choices that make right. them poor and continue to be poor. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it also it also can kind of become a vicious cycle where, yeah. um, like, being being poor, you know, can lead to creating a, a person that's morally deficient. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. living, living in an ugly place that makes you do ugly things surrounded by ugly people and ugly culture, um, will make people more m- morally ugly. I, th- I think that, I think that like, I think that when people resist that and still maintain kind of like a moral beauty, um, mm-hmm. we, like we, we like that because that, cause that has yeah. more value than if of they course. just kind of walked through, life like it was a fucking bed of roses or something Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um yeah yeah i I think about a lot of i worked around a lot of homeless people and with a lot of homeless people um when i was working with the food access and i think about just the kind of culture that's created within that within that um environment Mm -hmm. where it's no longer people who are really like i'm homeless and i want a house it's like this is what i do this is like this mm-hmm. is the world that I live in now and that I've accustomed myself to. And it's like, there's people who are homeless in these communities. I mean, I lived in Denver. There's massive homeless communities out there yep. that almost like skid rows and stuff like that, but just like, you know, in different locations instead of all in one place. And there are people who for one way or another, and I'm not trying to be insensitive by saying this, they choose that life. Um, yep. And they continue to do so as they as they do that. And also, I mean, once you get into that situation and you're outside the scope of normal human interaction, it becomes like Slav mentioned, it's easier to slip into that um, or to fall into that or, you know, to easily make a wrong step or whatever in that direction. But there's also a big factor of people who create, you do kind of create the, the situation that you're in one way or another. And I think yeah. about this a lot with like, I know a lot of people that, um, have problems with drug dependency and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like um, being someone who's involved in the music scene and stuff like that. I'm around a lot of, uh, you know, drug use and people that have problems and stuff like that. And, and I, it makes me, I see posts and stuff or hear people talking where they're like, man, like why are all my friends like dying young or like, why are, you know, why do I have any close friendships and people are all just turn on you quickly or whatever. And it's like, 
Well, because these are the people you're putting yourself around. This is the type of life that you're setting yourself up for by orienting yourself to life in this way. And then you're attracting this towards you and you're manifesting it and creating it through your actions. And so it's like you can't separate what you're doing from what's happening to you. It's all linked together. But that also isn't to say that it's all completely individual responsibility is the answer for everything. There are societal fixes that could be done to award people more individual agency and better options so that they feel like they have the ability to make the right choice in a more comfortable way, or it's something that incentivizes it rather than incentivizing the, you know, maybe a more morally um, deficient decision. Or at the very least, licentious, you know, yeah. uh, that, like, I don't know. So like, I, I think a lot about uh, a very good friend of mine that I've known for, gosh, yeah. this is the problem once you hit like, you know, your 40s as you start talking about, yeah, so-and-so. I've known him for, oh, man, more than 20 years. But uh, anyway, it's a good friend of mine that uh, uh, he's he's been uh, sober. He had a real bad drinking problem, but he's been sober now for, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. Um and uh, was always a good dude, like was never, never like a, uh, 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 someone that would take advantage of people and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to him a, a short while after he got sober, he went, he did the whole kit and caboodle, like went to, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 rehab and, and that kind of thing to dry out and all that. But uh, I remember talking to him and he said, I realize now, now that I'm, I've been sober for a while. And by the way, a, a fantastic thing that happened for him. He got sober and then immediately got a job that paid better than anything he'd ever done before. Oh, that's great. So that's, you know, that's a big part of, you know, what gives him strength and everything mm-hmm. is that he has all these positive associations. And also, like, his wife didn't leave him and didn't take the kids away so he oh, would never wow. see them again. Like, he gets to stay. He's, yeah, they're still together. You know, it's, it's well, that's what she told him. She was like, you sober up or you'll never see our kids again. And he said, well, the courts. And she said, the courts won't be able to find me. And she's she's a great woman, you know, but she was right. She's crazy. She, she would have made sure he never saw those kids again. Anyway, um, but uh, neither here nor there. But he tells me about like when he was still using, when he was still drinking, uh, he did. He, he said there it was a different, like it wasn't him, it, you know, in terms of, I mean, it was obviously it was him as a person, but the personality that, that, that behaved in that way, he said, was he doesn't recognize that in himself sober. Yeah. It's it, it, that the, the person that was doing this stuff was the drunk Mm-hmm. version you know and 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 the choices that, that the sober guy makes are are wildly different you know i mean uh and not just around alcohol just like you know in general and he just doesn't i say he never never took advantage but i mean he did sometimes you know he was a guy who would you know you'd go out to, for for a bite to eat together and uh you know he wouldn't tip because everybody else he's like well you guys already always tip so generously oh, right and uh and you know and so he, he just wouldn't leave it to be paid for his food and and let us take care of the tip and stuff like that but Ever since getting sober, it doesn't happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thing from my like experience with with drinking because I I haven't drank I think in about six years now because I had a pretty bad problem and like oh and good it's, it, well not good that you had the problem but I'm glad to hear that you you've you know been yeah sober well for uh, thanks mm-hmm. well I mean in in some ways I guess it is kind of good that I, I had the problem too to be honest because it like it really helped kind of like honestly I think. Um, just kind of like this idea of like it can be kind of a leg up to have challenges in life that other people yeah. don't need oh, to yeah. face pressure because, makes diamonds baby well exactly yeah. right and so like it definitely you know not drinking even just in the most basic sense like 
it's definitely made like my physical health easier to maintain because I'm not just like oh, yeah. drinking cans of liquid bread, um, <laughs> shit like that. Right? Uh, I'm, you know, I save money because of it. Uh, and then yeah. obviously, like the deeper stuff of just like needing to. It's like it's a test of grit and willpower. Yeah, um, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's a test, and it's also it's a muscle. You know, willpower is a muscle. Yes, it's it's like like any other, and it can get tired. But it can also be built up. I mean, that, there's this guy in uh, – he's probably retired by now. But there was this guy down in Florida State, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's the last – this is me being former academic. Baumeister was his name. He studied a thing he called ego depletion, which is basically the, the sense of self uh, or the, the self-control willpower is a limited resource in, in our, our minds, you know. Okay. And so uh, he would have people uh, – uh, I, I'm sorry if, if I if I shouldn't go on and on about this, please. Oh, no, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm gonna. Finish, I want to finish. Like one of my all time favorite psychology experiments. So he had people. He had two groups of people. He had, uh, you know, uh, condition A was one group of people. Uh, both groups would have to sit in a room. I guess technically three groups. It doesn't matter. But he had these people sit in a room and uh, uh, and wait for like 20 minutes and then do a very difficult problem solving task that were basically unsolvable problems. Hmm. Uh, and the, 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 what they were measuring was how long they would persist in trying to solve the problems before giving up. And the manipulation between these different groups, one group, you had them just sit in the room with, with, with you know, nothing on, on the table in front of them. In another group, they had a big bowl of radishes on the table. And they said, uh, these are here for another thing. Please don't eat any. Uh, but, you know, uh, just, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about them, but, uh, but please don't eat any of these radishes. And then the third condition was, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies on the table in front of them that they had to sit there and and look at for like 20 minutes before they could do the actual thing that the thing that they thought they were actually there to do uh and uh uh the the, the they even went they were diabolical with this they cooked the cookies in like a little easy bake oven in that room mm. so the smell of the cookies was just like thick in the air i mean it's just evil evil psychologist yeah, stuff torturous. anyway what they found was that the people that had to sit and look at nothing or the radishes, you know, they, they would work on the problems substantially longer than the people that had to look and smell the cookies. Mm. Uh, and that's willpower as a limited resource. And so, but on the other hand, that, that, that means it, it, it's a limited resource, but it means that it's something you can, you can build up. So, you know, in practicing every day, not, uh, uh, you know, uh, not drinking, like if it's something that you crave, mm-hmm. uh, in practicing that every day, you build up willpower that'll generalize to other things. And that's yeah. why you see so many former drinkers that uh, once they get sober, they also get insanely fit. Yeah, my buddy I was telling you about, he looks like a model. He is an, like a beautiful man. Like he was good looking before, but he is now like like chiseled, ridiculously chiseled. Doesn't do steroids or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. He's just like fit. And it's like, you know, and I'm like, how do you get the willpower to do? He's like, Brother, once I, I get past the, the time in the morning when I would have been drinking before, which was like eight o'clock in the morning when he used to start. Uh, so once I, I get through that that urge to drink, everything is is downhill for me for the rest of the day. Nothing seems seems difficult. And it's like, yeah, anyway, so like that's just to say there is scientific support for the thing you're describing of like, you know, uh, 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 that being a, a skill or a, a capacity that you have that's extra that maybe others don't. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely like, it's, you know, life isn't just completely like a linear progression, right? Like it goes in peaks and valleys. And so like, 
you know, I think the last week or two, I've been struggling a little bit with my discipline, with my motivation and shit like that. But yeah. like, it, I always just feel like at the very least, my my baseline is is higher because I have yeah. this this thing. But um, but but as far as like the man, what I did when I was drinking and I, I have such a hard time identifying with that person now, it's it that that is it's in my mind the most complicated part of the entire experience um and like really always, that. speak on that well it's always been the yeah it's always been the most difficult to square up because like um because it's like and i think i do have a take on it but it's just like i'm not super well i don't know so so it's it's interesting because there's the there's the there's the route you can go where you just say that was like somebody else like that was like a different person and that's like i feel like that's like pretty common um i like yeah. don't necessarily buy into that route because it's like it was still it was still always me and like yeah. in a way even if you know i think about it like um you know if i'm fucking wasted and i like say something really fucked up or do something really fucked up like it's a lot easier. The amount of resistance keeping me from doing something like that, it's still there. It's just like yeah. much thinner, mm -hmm. right? It's still yep. much thinner, even if I'm fucking totally hammered out of my mind, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I'm still, there's still always, at least I always found, regardless of how drunk I am, there's still always like the free will component of like, I'm still choosing oh, of course. to do yeah. this, right? And so like the more interesting thing to think on that I've always found with that stuff is that it's like, is that it's like that exists in me and existed mm -hmm. in me then and continues to exist in me. And like my, and like in the, my sense of identity as a person is like a much more fluid thing than mm -hmm. I, than I would have thought before i like did things that were moral failings when i was yeah. and, you know i never did anything fucking i didn't drive off a bridge and like kill a lady with my right. car or something right or like i didn't and if you had that would have been incredible aim <laughs> yeah and well my, my you know my rich political empire family would have gotten me out of it or something right but <laughs> exactly um, just little things though it's really what it is more than anything yeah i mean yeah it's just plenty of well whatever right i mean it's just even just going to a bar and just being fucking embarrassing right mm -hmm. dude i remember one time one of the last yeah. times i got drunk and this is totally an aside and I, maybe this is bad too because i'm kind of romanticizing bad shit i did when i was drunk but like i remember i went out with a with a friend of mine and a bunch of her co-workers and like I was just on a kick about how crazy it is that out of all the words in the English language, you're not allowed to say the N word. And Jeez, I made, oh like, I made, <laughs> I made, and I made a convincing enough argument to where like, I got like three quarters of the people she came out drinking with to like, say the hard R with me, <laughs> like fuck. loudly. No, exactly. And then they just like, never talked about it ever again. It was, it was, it was, I like felt like a warlock. Um, yeah, but, uh, but anyways, anyways, <laughs> um, kind of just I, like this, this idea of, of like, of just like, you know, that darkness is still in you, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and like, it's kind of indifferent almost, and yeah. you need to have the discipline to the darkness is indifferent. Like you shouldn't be indifferent to it. Right. But right. 
Um, it's like, it takes willpower and it takes discipline to, and I guess that's where like, I think like woke scolds, um, I always, this is actually something that makes me think of Yerk actually, because Yerk is the only person I know who still gets in to arguments with like lobby leftist accounts, um, (laughs) about like metaphysics, you know, which is like, when I say it out loud, it's like an insane thing to do. (laughs) Um, but like, but it's funny and, and he's good at it. And one of the things, this just seems like a point that he would make because he probably has constantly is, is just like, I think like, I think woke scolds, they're always doing that. Have you ever heard them say that thing of like, because I'm a good fucking person, it's called oh being a gosh, good yeah. fucking Long person. Days, yes. Or like there was that, there was that post recently in response to the shoe on a decent fucking human being. Yeah, I'm a decent they fucking God. love dropping an F bomb. Oh my God. They love human it. being. I know. I know the, the performative swearing is, is really funny. It's like, um, it reminds me of it's a cromulent fuck crustable is what it is. <laughs> it reminds me of when I was in like second grade and I like discovered swearing um yeah but um no uh or this kind of reminds me too of like that that chick that responded to the shoe on head video by being like have men considered have men that are sad considered just being uh better people um oh gosh (laughs) i love it i i i love that honestly so so um it's just it's just so unapologetically evil but um it is because uh, it denies the this this idea that there is a a, a worse part uh, for for lack of well because I'm I'm Catholic I'll go ahead and say it. it 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 implies that we have no demons only angels because we are we are the the good people yeah you know, well the, it, the, it, the, it, the, it denies original sin. sin it denies original sin like they 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 exactly. act like they don't well and that's and that's one of the funny parts too is that these people that uh, you know uh, their first their first like uh, criticism of uh, christians and just i would say organized religion but we all know that that's not really what it is it's 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 christianity um yep uh, their 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 go-to lazy thing is always like well i just don't like it when people think that they're morally superior to me and they don't think that their shit don't stink and it's like you like understand like the central fucking image of this religion christ on the cross dying you like understand what that represents and that like the thing you're saying is like kind of the whole fucking point of anyway anyways anyways so but the point is that and this is kind of the whole point i was making about about woke schools it's like is just the view of that person's a, a shitty person, a garbage person, if you will. That person's mm-hmm. bad, and and I'm just a and I'm just a decent fucking human being, and like and just this idea of like, first of all, I mean to to use to use a word that they would use. I mean that's an incredibly privileged point of view, right? Because you know, on one hand, I'm glad that I had a dark phase in my life. Right. Because it led to Mm -hmm. a lot of development. But at the same time, right, it's an incredibly painful thing to experience Mm -hmm. discovering that, like, you have the capacity to be a monster. Right. And I and I think about I think about like a lot of and I don't want to compare myself to a fucking soldier or anything. Right. But think about Mm -hmm. soldiers that go and they actually uh, serve in combat. 
right? And like a lot of post-traumatic stress that soldiers, like really acute post-traumatic stress that soldiers deal with, can be is often rooted around around just the trauma of discovering the shit that they were capable of doing yeah in the shit oh, yeah. that they fucking did and like to me there's like a lot more meat on that bone that's a much more interesting thing to unpackage because because actually understanding how the fucking world works and and that unlike the woke scolds it, it's funny i feel like it's like 2018 and i'm saying the term woke scold again like it's uh-huh. like a come down but um but like it's th- their worldview is so much about like the world happening to you, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas kind of understanding like no, like I am a part of the world, and like there is good and there is evil in the world, and like I have the capacity for beautiful good things, and I also have the capacity for depraved, e- just depraved evil, and like that that's that is like that is awesome in like the actual true definition of like it inspires awe and it makes me feel small in the face of that and it scares me uh oh my god my dog is snoring so loud again (laughs) dude shut up we contain multitudes we can i'm I'm fond of saying i'm fond of saying i contain multitudes it's how i got so large uh, (laughs) yeah you can see all of them right here (laughs) i like that but uh no, I, I hear you though. Like, like, uh, uh, I don't know. So, where I always, I, I don't know. Whenever I get into these these things, where I'm thinking about like, like the, the you know the woke scolds or the libs or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, on one hand, they're they're saying, oh, it's easy to just be a good person, and then of course, when when you ask them what that means, they just end up, you know, they they make a laundry list of, of impossible standards. They say they and say so drink like, oh, water and don't be racist. Right, right, exactly. Like, yeah. and, and, but but they, they come up with with but but ask them to unpack. Don't be racist. Oh boy, that that that's a fun time. But but then you know like that, and so it's like oh you're so hypocritical. But I, we're all freaking hypocrites, you know. Like like I, I like I said, I'm I'm usher slash front door. I, I I won't say security, but I'm kind of front door security. I'm a church, church bouncer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am in a way. Uh, uh, funny when I first started doing. Uh, the ushering thing it was uh it was monitoring for covid so i was taking people's temperatures fortunately with one of the infrared ones not with a uh an actual mouth thermometer but you know uh and so i, I literally was bouncing people if their temperature came out too high but Dude, or if they weren't on the list because we had to have a pre-registered list of people anyway but uh um uh, but yeah, so I'm sitting there at, 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 at the, the, the back, you know, like by the front doors of the church. And I'm sitting there, you know, like it's church. It's happening. And sometimes I, I just I'm sorry. The Catholic mass is is a little boring if you're not kind of immersed in it, if you're sitting out like behind the church and stuff. So I'm sitting there. Sometimes I'm on Twitter during mass. I'll admit it. I still take the Eucharist and, and I, you know, I, I go to confession. I talk to my Shame priest about on this. You. Yes. <laughs> you know, we, 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 yeah, you know, there are ways to work around this. Here's your, your penance, yada, yada. But anyway, um, uh, uh, but I'm sitting there at the back church on Twitter. And sometimes I'm like, you know, if it's, uh, I don't know, like cold healing or one of those people posts like, like the, the e-girl of the week or the, the Instagram, you know, Instagram reel of, of my, my thing. And I'm like, yeah, of course would, you know, like <laughs> I'm in church. What am I doing? You know, I'm just, picturing, like, I'm just picturing you like, I'm just picturing you posting like, uh, like the, your Photoshop of like the girl looking at the guy on the computer being like, nice, nice computer faggot <laughs> in the middle of Norvis Ordo. Fucking like. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, not that I would ever post something like that, but hypothetically, if I did, yeah, absolutely. No, um, but that's what I'm saying, though, is like, we're all, we're all hypocrites in our way, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think like, like, I don't know, as, as tempting as hypocrisy policing is with these people, mm-hmm. I, I try not to do it. Yeah, because it's not productive in the end. They're yeah. not going to respond to it. Uh, well, certainly not for me. I have you know tiny locked account with like three people on it. But you know, like I, th- people don't respond to hypocrisy policing. They don't care. And and, and it's you know, and, and nor should they. I mean, in a way, in this way, I think in some ways that they're, they're more uh, awakened or I don't know, enlightened is the word I'm looking for. In certain ways, they're more enlightened than we are because they're 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 not you know they're not. It doesn't even come up on their their mental you know radar. It's like, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, yeah. It, it wouldn't even occur to them as hypocrisy because to, to once again invoke the good old boys, they're they're operating within their coalition, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and for their coalition, it's completely reasonable to have this this uh, dissociation, like antipodal two, two modes of thought operating simultaneously. It is completely within their 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 uh their their uh, uh purview to do that yeah anyway yeah i would argue that it's more so like willful willful or like maybe not even willful ignorance than it is enlightenment but i think overall what we're kind of yeah. talking here with, about is like because we started here talking about the addiction stuff and alcoholics yeah being like you know that wasn't that wasn't me that was someone else and i think slav yeah. he countered that mostly your argument saying kind of like no actually that was me and you have to kind of reckon with that I think that's an important yeah. part of, of like the process of becoming a, an integrated human being is by recognizing that, 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 you know, that was you. And so if you are an addict and your, your view is, you know, that wasn't me, that was someone else completely. I think at the end of the day, you're still kind of deflecting a lot of that responsibility that you need to be grappling sure. with yourself. And I think that kind of what we're talking about is like to put it into, you know, psychological terms that you were uh, I know you're fond on psychology It's kind of like hmm. the, the shadow self or like the shadow uh, ego or whatever yeah, that, that young talks about where it's like, fundamentally we have these things in us and we try to repress it or not think about it. Or, you know, our entire rational mindset is pretty much organized around, um, you know, subduing these things to a better, more lucid train of thought on a day to day basis. That's kind yeah. of like what you're doing. And I think that, what we're talking about with alcohol and with other drugs and stuff is that it can kind of bring down some of those strictures and let that shadow self out a little bit more. And I think that just disregarding that and saying that someone else differently is missing the point because you have to, you know, acknowledge and accept that, you know, that is within you um, and that you need to integrate that into your understanding of yourself going forward. So, but not in a way that's like, okay, yeah, I'm just a piece of shit. Sometimes I do shit like that. And that's just how it is. Like, you know, I have that part of me, but knowing that that's something that you really need to be looking out for and that you need to be vigilant in all your day-to-day interactions with other people and make sure that you actually are putting forth your best foot and actually looking for, you know, positive things in each situation and looking out for the other person and trying to make sure you are actively subduing, you know, whatever those parts of, yourself like you know or whatever those negative aspects are maybe you want to be impatient maybe you want to be an asshole or say something sarcastic maybe whatever it is you know just keeping those things in check i think that's a big part of like being generally self-aware on a day-to-day basis um and just in interpersonal interactions and i think kind of what we're talking about here is yeah just integrating that part into yourself in a healthy way and i think that a lot of people 
either try to disregard it completely by saying, oh, well, I'm just a good fucking person. Um, or if they're like an addict or something that actually had it break into their lives. Oh, that wasn't me. That was just drunk me. That was a different thing. Right. And I think that really the right answer is that you need to engage with it fully. Um, and I think there's a lot of yeah. things in, in our worldview now that kind of keep us from actually having a healthy understanding of that and incentivize you to disregard it. Um, or even just like if you are going to incorporate it, like Slav and I talked about this on the Videodrome um, episode where I was saying I hate motherfuckers that are just like, yeah, you know, that's just my sad, my shadow self. And that's just like, you know, I've got yeah, yeah. multitudes and I sometimes have bad, you know, I do bad things. Well, you shouldn't use it as an excuse, but you should use it as a way to inform how you behave going forward. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds right. me of, um, and I don't think that you encounter this very often anymore. Um, but, uh, like it, when people, when people would like kind of do the like quirky personality shade of being like, huh. I'm a bit of an asshole. A fun thing about me, I'm a bit of an asshole. And it's like, oh, all right, well, I'm going to just sort you out of my life then. Right. I'm going to ignore you and try to not associate with you. Dude, crazy thing about me, I try to not be an asshole and I try to be kind to people. (laughs) Yeah, I try to have genuine people around me. (laughs) That's wild. You know, and and, and so, uh, I don't know, I think about like, uh, sorry, to tie this back to my my spiel about mental health and stuff too, is... uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit woo here, uh, and I, I hope you'll you'll hang with me. But there's oh, this thing. We'll that, see. Uh, we'll see, Joe. You're going to see. You're, so you're going to see uh, uh, when 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 you're online. Sometimes you'll see a certain type of uh, um, like I uh, I don't know how to even describe it. Uh, well, they're, they're new agey ish people. Almost always women. Yeah, they broads. talk about a thing called the enneagram. It's always these broads. Uh, the enneagram. Holy shit. The enneagram, right? <laughs> So my, my first exposure to the Enneagram was actually through a Franciscan friar, uh, that, uh, it's got, this is, this is, so it's a very strange story. It, I shouldn't say very, it, it's odd to me. So I had this one professor in, uh, in undergrad who was a former nun, a uh, former sister. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, you know, after I graduated, I didn't really have a, a great plan for what I was going to do with myself. She was like, well, take this. This is the, the a series of lectures on literal audio tape, like, you know, cassette tapes. It was a set of lectures by this, this uh, Franciscan friar named uh, Richard Rohr. Uh, oh, dude. Hell yeah, man. I've actually listened you know to Richard a lot Rohr? of, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. Based. Dude rules. Yeah. He, you know, he did a, a, a sidebar. He did a podcast episode with the comedian Pete Holmes. Dude, Pete Holmes is uh, the shit. Yeah. I'm going to go see him yeah. uh, in the next couple months. So yeah. Oh man. He, yeah. His comedy is yeah. Something else. But uh, Pete Holmes went to a very Christian college called Gordon college up in, uh, in uh, Massachusetts. And, uh, and so he, it still has that connection to his faith, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's had Richard Rohr on his podcast, I don't know, two or three times, but Dude, anyway, so if you give me this series of lectures, sorry, go ahead. I was going to drop a quick recommendation. If you like Richard Rohr, uh, and if you oh, haven't heard of him before, check out Thomas Keating. Um, he is a Keating, really, okay. he's a really great, um, he's also, I think maybe a Franciscan, he was some sort of friar and, um, he, the good ones are usually Franciscans. Yeah. The, right. They're, they're a little bit cooler in my opinion, but um, he gives a really good lecture series um, on what he calls the contemplative journey, which is kind of like where he melds mm-hmm. kind of some ideas in psychology at the time with like more spiritual paths and um, understandings of a spiritual journey and kind of gives a really long lecture series on it. And I think it's something to look into. I I'll think check it like out. It. Yeah. But, Sorry, uh, but yeah, yeah. anyway, so like the Enneagram was, was, that was my introduction to it. It was not like, I mean, this was before Facebook, 
I mean, Facebook might have been in its first year of existence or something at this time. So I, I, I didn't know that it even existed and it wasn't really a thing yet. So there, social media, you know, yeah, old man hours here. Uh, social media was very much in its infancy at this time. But uh, so so that was my exposure to the Enneagram. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, uh, in listening to these, these audio lectures, uh, one of the things I realized, uh, was, you know, whatever type I am, it's, uh, uh, uh you know, it, it's very much about the need to be special. And I still have aspects of that, 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 that I, I have learned to embrace in a constructive way. But what he talked about in this was a woman that, that he had worked with. The Enneagram was originally developed by mystics as a way to help people find God who kept, um, encountering impediments mm -hmm. in trying to to find a, a relationship with god i don't remember i think it was sufi mystics i don't remember exactly but anyway um uh but this woman that, that he was working with uh that uh that she eventually realized what she needed to do you know given that, that she was so much about you know uh aesthetics and, and beauty and, and all this stuff that what she really needed was to work uh, in a hands-on way with, in her case, very sick people. So she ended up doing like personal care aid kinds of things uh, with very, very sick people and, and people that were, you know, in bad shape and either, you know, uh, 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 like, you know, end of life care, hospice kinds of things, or just like people that needed extensive personal care. These are sick um, people. And the, <laughs> these people are sick. I tell you. Obviously, uh, but anyway, and, and that was her way to realize that, like, this is what she needed. And I had a similar sort of journey, to be honest, in that I, I had always been in kind of these lofty academic kind of uh, circles and, and lofty, uh, 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 what to, to quote Buster from Arrested Development. I'm a scholar. I, I like scholarly pursuits. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, I, I had always been in this lofty world of ideas and abstractions and stuff. What I actually needed was to be on the ground, yeah. you know, with, 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 you know, face-to-face -face interaction with people who were not, you know, uh, uh, not doing well, not, not having the, the best, uh, the best life that they could live and stuff like that. And, and what th th that was transformative for me because I was forced to, to encounter and embrace the, the, you know, what were sometimes very ugly things, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not, not a lot of dimes come into the, the food pantry, uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or <laughs> although man, there were one or one or two. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, and, and, and so that's, that's an example, uh, you know, for me, and, and I, I will admit that I was fortunate to have the support of, of my wife, you know, financially and, and, you know, emotionally and everything that I was able to take a major step down in pay and, uh, and, and all that kind of thing, uh, and do that work for a while, uh, to find myself. Uh, so I'll, I, I'll admit it's, it's not an option open to everybody, but it's open to more people than, than I think it's open to people more often than they think, mm -hmm. uh, to, to have like, to make a major change like that. Yeah. You're going to take a financial hit, uh, but it's your money or your life, you know? And, and if you, if you continue to pursue a life, uh, a, a career and, and lifestyle and everything that's making you miserable, you're not going to live very long, yeah. you know? And, and even if you do, what, what is that? I mean, you know, uh, another 30, 40, 50 years of horse shit, like you're not, that, that's, that's not, you know, that's not really living, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not the living that you could be having, you know? Uh, and, and so that's why, you know, like I say, you know, sometimes if you're, if you continue to be unhappy in, in these, you know, this, this pursuit that you, you think you've always wanted and, and, and you have always wanted, but it's, you're miserable in it and, and stuff like that, you know, you, you gotta do something very different. You might need to make a, a major shift in some way. It doesn't mean you, you forget everything you learned. Uh, you know, and, and I have, you know, a certain amount of knowledge about, 
you know, uh, statistics and, and programming and stuff like that, that I developed over the years that still serve me very well, just not in the way that I would have ever expected it. Um, which is all just to say, uh, yeah, you got to get out of that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta find a way to, to, um, and yeah, it, it, it might even be rather traumatic and it might, it might suck and, and, and that kind of thing. But in the long run, uh, sometimes that is a necessity. Another great example, and I'm sorry to, to, to keep doing this, but uh, a very good friend of mine from uh, from way back, uh, gosh, I don't know, like seventh grade or whatever, uh, he always wanted to be an architect. He went to uh, went to college. I mean, from when he was like three, he was saying he wanted to be an architect. Went all the way through school, went to college, became an architect, and hated it. Mm-hmm. He just hated doing the work because in college he was building beautiful things, models and and beautiful structures, you know, with with, you know, uh, 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 very like a lot of aesthetic sense to them and stuff like that. When he got into the workplace, he was engineering office blocks. Right. He was engineering a big building full of offices, find the maximum number of workstations within it uh, to, to kind of fit all of them into the right spots and then have the right number of bathrooms and and all that kind of thing. Even engineering down to the parking lot having the number of uh, spots that was up to code and everything. Uh, so he was miserable in it. And and he ended up just walking one day. He walked away and he did, uh, uh, if you've ever been to DC with the uh, the people that walk up to you with a clipboard and say, uh, I'm raising money for the, you know, whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Southern Property Law Center or whatever, you know, yeah. Uh, he was a clipboard fundraiser for a little while because that's what paid the bills. Uh, but he eventually realized, oh, you know, I, I, I do like buildings and I like the idea of, of buildings happening and stuff. So he became an apprentice electrician uh, and, uh, you know, a union uh, apprentice electrician. He's now making bank and he's happy as a clam. Like the dude is, is uh, I, I mean, he's he's living his absolute best life. And uh, I don't even hear from him a lot of the time because he doesn't use computers anymore. <laughs> he doesn't like, yeah. I, like I'll, I'll send him an email and I don't hear back for a month or two. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't check my email for a while. I was like, no, bro, you didn't check your email for two months. Like, how do I live like you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I feel yeah. like you spoke to anyway. it a little bit with your own personal journey where you said that you, you felt like you were in a realm more so of uh, like high minded abstraction and you felt like you yeah. realized that you needed the um, actual hands on day to day to day engagement with the, the topics that you were kind of broaching um, abstractly. And I think that that's something that we talk a lot about on this show specifically is the the ability to lose track of actually what's happening on a, on a small level, on a micro level, oh, yeah. when you really are caught up in these abstractions, when you're trying to think about climate change as CO2 numbers instead of about the rivers near you, or when you're trying to think about yeah. homelessness as like, you know, this big thing that you, you need to have unhoused crisis rather than like actually going and dealing with the people right down the street that need the help. You know, when you, when you think about things from a more abstract level, you start to lose a lot of the details. And I think that oh, yeah. that causes a lot of issues. Well, you forget about the impact. Right. You forget about the impact. You just don't think about the impact. And you also yeah. don't really have a good understanding of what the stakes are or kind of really just what the materials are that you're working with at the time. And so I think that that yeah. creates a really big mismatch between people sometimes that are in more man- like leadership roles in that kind of respect within uh, like charity, nonprofit type organizations, and people mm-hmm. who are also like doing the, the actual work on the ground. Yeah. Um, and I think that like having that realization is a helpful part um, of actually like, even if you were to go back to a more abstract position, 
like maybe you are now a little bit more with AHR, it's like you bring that knowledge with you. Exactly. And so I think that that helps. The you perspective know. of of helping. Of like course. I was saying earlier, I think about everything in terms of how can I help today? Mm-hmm. Who am I going to help today? Even if it's something as stupid as like somebody just, I don't know, like they want to know uh, what rate are they going to earn sick leave at or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, and that, that I could be able to answer that question. I've helped a person, right. you know, like if, if I, if I'm helping and, you know, frankly, if it doesn't happen at work, I, you know, I, I try to find something to do on the way home. I try to find, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and, and I try to not make it money ever, but like, you know, there, there's always trash on the road. There's yeah. always uh, or like a branch sitting in the middle of the road. It's like, you know, I, I'll throw that in the back of the truck and drive it down the way and throw it in, in a ravine or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. th- there's got to be some way I can help today. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's it's. Uh, the, the oh man, I had a thought and it is gone. We've been going for like two hours. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. Oh, you're good, man. Yeah, we've been going for quite a while. I had one of those situations early in the podcast <laughs> when you went on here. Yeah, your, dude, that's you know. dude, that right there. There's a you know how like long long haul truckers will like need to like do meth or else they'll fall asleep and yeah. fear into oncoming and kill a whole family. Uh, this is this is that's kind of a hazard of the job. This is that equivalent. Yeah, um, yeah. Is, you, know, you know what though? Now that you mentioned truckers, you guys got to get Gord on here, dude. I want to get Gord on. I want to get Gord on. Is he on um, Twitter? He's not on any social media that I know of at the moment. Yeah, but I can. I'll send you his email address. That'd be okay. done. Yeah, that would be fucking. Yeah, he's cool. He's still got his podcast going. I'm gonna. You know what? I don't have anything to, of my my own to promote, but I'm gonna promote Gord voice of gourd okay it's a great little podcast about trucking and stuff dude that's why this that's why cool. we love joe don't we folks he comes on he comes yeah. on talks for two hours and uh and he just uh he just plugs somebody else's stuff hey he's looking out for you <laughs> uh oh i do have a new novelty account i made for for twitter that uh if you if if your listeners are are interested in i don't know I, this 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 new thing they're calling uh i think it's pronounced memes uh or or, or uh, memes i'm not sure memes maybe uh no memes i'm doing uh I, i've got this account it's called trump inspire trump underscore inspire it's inspirational uh so i i'm, I'm a junkie for these uh facebook groups that oh, are, are facebook holy pages. shit you're inspirational Joker trump quotes. oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah okay yeah. that yeah, know, that meme trump. you made for me today was so fucking funny yeah. oh yeah <laughs> So <laughs> sometimes I'll take like tweets that I like and I'll, I'll, I'll put them over uh, a black and white picture of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. But my favorite thing is, is finding, so there's a, a Facebook page called Joker diary and there's another one called Joker inspiration. Jesus. Uh, there's a bunch of these garbage Facebook pages yeah. like, uh, or word porn. Word porn is brilliant. There is some <laughs> absolutely like galaxy brain shit going on on word porn. But anyway, I take these quotes and I put them over Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with I've, I've even discovered a new uh, new set of fonts and everything. So, uh, if if your people want to uh, want to check out uh, uh, some garbage memes, uh, please do uh, follow Trump underscore Inspire. Uh, Hell yeah! I try to post on there about once or twice a day. But yeah, I fucking love it, dude. <laughs> that shit was so funny to me. I thought you knew that was me. That's that's fantastic. He's even I almost wish I hadn't said anything. I, Just well, keep dropping those in your mentions. I know. I, like I had kind of gotten the impression because that's that's you behavior. Um, yes <laughs> but it was just fun yeah it's funny oh god that that fucking cracked me i remember the tweety bird memes that you had going for a little while oh my gosh oh yeah the, the uh it's like a bad bitch uh, tweety bird kind of vibe oh yeah or, or I, I had one that was a uh, tweety bird but it, like uh 
like dressed up like gangsta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> Dude, I remember one point in time, uh, probably about two years ago, there was a picture that the Trump campaign put out, and it was black and white, and it's like him sitting with his hands together. And then there's one where he's like pointing at the screen. And it goes so hard. And I'll try to find that. Yeah. Senator Are you team. thinking of the that one that's like, they're not coming for me, they're coming for you? That might be. Yeah, I think that's it. That, that would, would, well, dude, 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 dude. They, they, he did that like in 2020, like when they were like impeaching yeah. him the second or third time. Okay, yeah. And that was absolutely one of the most hard posts he ever Dude, made it's hard ever. as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot. But I used to take that. <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> I, do. I don't I know like why it. that response is so funny to me, but it's just like... That's the thing I found with the Trump thing. It's like, I don't really agree with a lot of his, like, politics or like, opinions or, like, who he is as a person morally, yeah, but, like, totally. uh, I, I like what he did. Like, I like the way he operated, you know what I mean? I think oh, it's yeah. good. I think I think if we could well, have more of that... He's authentic. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, he is very authentic. And I mean, to be I, fair, I, Joe like, Biden is authentically fucking mentally retarded. <laughs> No, he's not, though, dude, because he's authentically reading off a fucking prompt every goddamn time and sticking to the script. Hardly imp- even I wish they would let him it. do jazz. Yeah, dude, I improv really up there. Him just... <laughs> exactly. Get him doing jazz up there again. Yeah. There was a, an amazing moment. I th- and this is, again, old man hours, but I think it was in the 2008 campaign. There was – so he's running as, as the, the v, uh, vice president at the time. But he's at some some event or something. He goes, yeah, and uh, it's, it's Bob back there. Uh, uh, you know, was 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 along with that. I mean, Bob, why don't you stand up and take a bow? And then there's he, there's a beat, and he goes, oh, you're in a wheelchair. What am I saying? Oh, God, love you. Everybody else, t- stand up and, and and give him a rock. I was like, oh my. God. But it was just the crazy thing with that too. That was the more relatable Joe Biden because who yeah. hasn't had a foot and mouth moment like that? You know, like, yeah, that that's an extremely relatable, like, I, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm uh, my, my dad was trading in his car to get a new one one time. Right. When we were, uh, this is, you know, like back in the early nineties or something. And, and he's at the car dealer, they're signing the papers. Right. But his old car, like the clutch had been slipping or something like that, or the exhaust was bad. I don't remember. I was, I was pretty little yeah. and I, <laughs> they're signing the papers. I go to dad, I turn to my, I was like, so this, uh, you mean you're still going to get the old car fixed? And my dad goes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know this kid. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. And in retrospect, I'm like jamming my foot in my mouth. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> dude, I think I think I think Joe Biden could have been a lot more charming if he had he had been president like eight fucking four five years ago, and if oh, yeah. uh, and like if they had actually like allowed him to like say funny shit like calling people like Chinese right. people Chinamen, you know, uh, yeah, like 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 shit. like charming old man shit. But here, yeah. let's let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's play that. Let's play the outro music. Oh so, yeah, like, courtesy of Joe, by the way. So once again, thank you for that. We nice. don't even use it as an outro, but I want to now because I want to hear it. These people are sick. <laughs> it's obviously, a very very sick individual. These people are the sickest of them all. The sickest of them all. <laughs> you better get used to hearing it. You better get used to hearing it. <laughs> Dude, I want you to cut it right there. I want you to cut it right there. Hell yeah. When, when you're editing this, I want you to cut it right. <laughs> and that concludes this week's episode of These People Are Sick. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, you could head over to our Patreon page, which is the home for bonus content, extra episodes, video content, 
access to our Discord, and more. That's patreon.com slash thesepeoplearesick, and we hope to see you over there.